Good evening and welcome. Oh no, I have to do it in spooky voice. Do I do it in spooky voice? That's just my voice. <laughs> I think I'm thinking about when we do like the, the when it's the pre-recorded thing. Yeah. That's, okay, no, I'll just do regular. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never Agreed. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we are culminating my year-long quest to find a horror movie that finally addresses Jewish issues with 2018's The Golem. I am your host tonight, Ben Khan, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Jeremy Whitley. Jeremy, how are you tonight? Relax the movies, precious. Enjoy them. This oh, no. one's all about us. Oh, no. Oh, that's your ASMR voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is our sexy voice. Oh, oh no. I just oh, thought yeah. of the things that would totally upset Tolkienologists with my like <laughs> profound ignorance of the specifics of why he named Gollum Gollum Gollum. 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 We're gonna just assume it's because he's a massive anti-Semite. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I'm really liking just the idea of Gollum having an ASMR channel. I like how we're starting shit with Tolkien fans, like right off of that. Good. Okay, it's just me. Good. It's just me. Nah, yeah. That's okay. Find me a fantasy franchise that treats Jewish people well. <laughs> you can't. Wait. And I say just fantasy because I can't include sci-fi because Independence Day is Jewish as fuck. <laughs> I love it. I have I have some recs for the end of the show, but anyway. Yes. And uh, well, yes. And next up, my frequent podcast collaborator, uh, comics artist and certified vampire aficionado, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Um, I'm using all the knowledge of the Kabbalah I have learned from Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> I'm using all the knowledge I've picked up from Madonna tabloid covers. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Final Fantasy VII. Se- that's how I know all the best religious iconography charts have long flowing silver hair yeah uh and we've got some very special guests tonight uh first up gregory paul silver is a writer editor and critic specializing in comic books and pop culture his work has appeared in outlets like Com- the comics beat panel x panel shelf dust neotext and the daily dot and he also writes his own comics uh greg how are you tonight and do you have anything you'd like to promote here before we start oh uh- Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, this is the first time I've had an opportunity to say this, but uh, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I, I've uh, literally been listening to you guys uh, since the first episode, so thank you for having me on. Uh, I The main thing I've got to promote here, because I think it's the entire reason <laughs> that I'm here in the first place, is uh, I just, uh, like, last week? I think it was what is time uh publish a essay for neotext called golems nazis and other monsters a look into judaism and horror films um which i'll probably be making numerous references to uh throughout the episode here um but it's pretty much what the uh title sounds like there is a very tiny subgenre of jewish horror films or 
at least horror films with some kind of Jewish element. Very uh, tiny. Very, very again, tiny. The last time I've gotten to talk about Jewish issues on the show was all the way fucking back in Black Christmas when the Jewish character got strangled to death with Christmas lights and none of the other characters even goddamn noticed. Oh, man. I, I have not seen uh, either of the Black Christmas remakes. I only saw the original starring uh, um, Margot Kidder. Uh, from Who like is awesome in that movie? Oh my god, she's so good. But, the rest uh, of the movie, eh. Mario Kidder, fantastic. Yeah, no, she was like the entire reason that I watched that movie. Um, but but yeah, uh, other than that, um, uh, find my uh, humor column, Silver Linings, uh, at 2 p.m. every Friday. And you can read it at other times too. Like it, it doesn't disappear from <laughs> the comic speed when it's not 2 p.m. Uh, but that's why I have a new one up every week. Uh, and uh, for the purpose of this show, uh, I hope your listeners will check out the uh, series of horror essays that I wrote there throughout October where Silver Linings transformed into Silver Bullets. Ooh. Uh, that's Ooh. Silver with a B, by the way. Uh, B as in boy. Rather than, uh, oh, and I have a little four-page mini-comic called Benny Beck Vampire Killer with art by Jonah Newman. Uh, it'll literally take you like two minutes to read if that, uh, but it's about a Jewish vampire hunter uh, hunting Nazi vampires with the help of a girl. Uh, nice. it's, li- it's very short, but it's literally my favorite thing. Nice. That's, yeah, to clarify, that's, that's awesome. Neotext, N E O T E X T, not Neopets, which Emily <laughs> the first Listen. time you said it. <laughs> I mean, it's Somewhere good distinctions. I- Somewhere I assure effects. you that's just starving. <laughs> Hasn't been fed its free communist omelet in years. It's a, it's a solid joke for all y'all who still remember <laughs> Neopets. Listen, there's, we're out and, there. And uh, also joining us is a special guest and longtime friend of the show, uh, the host of the Graphic Policy Radio podcast, Alana Levin. Alana, thank you so much for being here. Hey, I'm I'm so happy to be back. I love doing this show. I actually like messaged you guys a little while ago, being like, "Please have me back for something." And then you were guys, and you were like, "I want to talk about Jewish horror." And I'm like, "I I don't." Can you can I please talk about 1970s horror movies? <laughs> like, but then I was like, "Okay, no, I totally have to do it. I have to do it because if I'm not part of the conversation, I'm just gonna like be angry. It's like one of those complicated <laughs> things for me, you know." So. I mean, I, we can I, I, also I, do 1970s horror. I know. Yeah, we could do both. We could do both. But not today. We'll it's okay. But like, no, but not Greg's today. piece, Greg's essay is so good. And it Thank really you. got me to appreciate this as a thing. I mean, because to be clear, I talk about Jewish shit constantly, but it's not, it, feeling about Jewish horror was a little uncomfortable for me because I'm like, oh, like horror is a, is like not something I connect with my, my Judaism at all. Um, you know, like it was just a very separate category of my brain. And, and and I guess for some context is like, I mean, I I went to Jewish parochial school for elementary school. Like I used to actually know Hebrew, like getting my bat mitzvah was easy is how well I knew Hebrew at that point in time, <laughs> um, which requires speaking and understanding a different language. That has, of course, the, the knowledge of the language has really gone down the drain, although the songs remain. 
Um, <laughs> and, you know, like, you know, really like, was raised in a progressive Jewish household. Like our, our, our cantor was a lesbian, you know, and I'm involved in Jewish stuff now, but um, it's uh, a lot like the, the, the mythology around the golem itself is stuff I'm familiar with, but there's a lot of stuff beyond that. Like I'm gonna think Kabbalah. I always just joke like Kabbalah is for the goyim. Like you don't learn about <laughs> that stuff in Greg is like you don't learn about that stuff in Jewish school. That's like if you like that's like some like the, and now now because people have such a a, a, a broader cultural interest, uh, mysticism and spirituality in general. There's lots of Jewish people who are into it now. But when I was a kid in like the '80s, like that, you know, like it, that was, that was like believing in fairies or, you know, yeah. like, yeah. you know, you believe in God, yeah. but you don't believe in fairies. So like, it, you know, There's, it's almost like the more seriously you take the Torah, the less seriously you take like the weird adjacent stuff that's not actually like officially recognized as it. So in some ways it's yeah. sort of like, oh, are we like, are we like, we're kind of like, like, we're kind of like the liberal Episcopalians, I guess. Where I'm like, I don't, you know, like, what is this stuff about angels? We don't talk about that. We talk about Tikkun Olam, you know what I mean? Angels yeah. so, really just show up to wrestle uh, Jacob that one time and be like, ah, oh, Jacob, you're so good at wrestling. You get to be called Jacob now. <laughs> right and moving along uh like like you know so anyway so it was sort of it's, it was sort of interesting because i um there was movies that i had concerns about i was like i don't want to watch this because i think it's going to be anti-semitic and then i was like no this movie sounds like it might be good and that i can enjoy it and then let's find out so that's my big ilana brain dumbest i i was really kind of hungering for something that discussed uh, Jewish themes, just because we've been doing, for, since we've been doing this podcast, we've seen uh, issues of, you know, uh, queer issues, race issues, mental health issues, and just seeing the way horror can be just such a unique lens of exploring these themes and providing a form of representation. And selfishly, I just want, I wanted that. I also just needed some balance from the endless parade of exorcism movies they put out every year. Or the Conjuring series, which is just about like good sex for Jesus drives the demons away. <laughs> yeah, and the I Conjuring mean, is really just the worst. I I know there will be people, especially like horror fans, who are like, "Oh, Conjuring is great. Don't talk bad about the Conjuring." But I'm like, literally, this is just like a series of movies that like proselytizes the value of these hucksters who went around convincing people that they were, you know, haunted and possessed and whatnot yeah like they're real yeah. people they're yeah. bad I'm, a, I'm amazed it's a movie with like james wan and patrick wilson and not this weird thing you find out chris pratt did that suddenly explains a whole bunch <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah i my relationship with uh the conjuring movies um i haven't seen any of the spinoffs i've just seen uh it is very similar to my relationship with uh a movie like the exorcist or any number of the God knows how many uh, horror movies I was steeped in uh, Christian dogma, uh, where it's like, I enjoy a lot of them for, for, for what they are. A lot of them are, are, are uh, these movies are very well-made horror movies. I mean, The Exorcist uh, is, is just, you know, it's easy to tell why <laughs> it was an utter phenomenon that was like driving people back to the church in 1973 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but for me, 
as a Jewish horror fan who was not raised to believe that the devil's going to get me or that yeah. if I'm not careful, uh, you know, I could be possessed by demons or whatever. That's not something I was ever afraid of in real life. So I'm just never going to get that kind of scare level the mm-hmm. way it would be for someone who was raised Christian, whether they're currently identifying as Christian or not. Um, which isn't to say that I was raised to believe that the golem was real. That was something that uh, I had to discover on my own. And honestly, I- I'm thinking Wait, now- Wait, do because- people think the golem story is real? Uh, <laughs> Okay, so oh, no, that, story, not, none of this stuff is real. Well, they're, I don't believe fabled. it's real. But, but, so, no, so I know. I, but... I, I have a quick little story for you yes. that uh, I, th- this is actually how I opened my essay, um, the, the Neotext essay about Jewish horror. When I was 20, I had a friend who is now like fully black hat, ultra orthodox, but like he, he was. We, we, as we were growing up, he was even less religious than me. I would occasionally accompany him to these sort of Jewish youth events where, you know, and I, I was dabbling with the idea of maybe becoming more religious than my liberal reform upbringing, um, which, which is how I identify, was sitting with a bunch of uh, college-age Jews when I was 20, uh, while this young rabbi was brief introduction to the idea of Kabbalah, because I think if you're my age, the way you first heard about Kabbalah was when Madonna was really into yep. it in the early <laughs> 2000s. I had never heard of it before that. And I'm like, wait, so I'm confused. Like, okay, so first of all, there's this magical side of Judaism that nobody bothered to tell me about. Exactly. And second, yeah. is Madonna, like, okay, so is Madonna Jewish now? Because if this is a Jewish thing, like, I know, I, I just feel like that's like getting to like the final boss battle of a video game while like skipping all the other stuff. <laughs> that was the period like, where Madonna couldn't decide if she was American or British. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, it, it, it was a real banner time to vaguely know who Madonna was as an 11 year old. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, th- this rabbi was uh, giving a little introduction on what Kabbalah was and he was explaining how uh, back in the day, the teaching of Kabbalah was actually forbidden to anyone under the age of 40 because young people are too irresponsible to be trusted with such arcane, dangerous knowledge. And the example he used was like, yeah, we don't want you guys running around creating golems. And I said, wait, hold up. We can do that? (laughs) Greg, this is what I'm talking about. Um, wow. so, I love it. Yeah, so and you know like, what? Valid, yeah. valid. Because I definitely make a golem. I don't want to go to work. Golem, do my work for me. Uh, well, now that, that I'm slightly golem? more mature at the age of thirty, I rewatched this 2018 golem movie where they show, which we'll get into later, during the golem making scene. And I was like, oh, the man, Star like, of I- David that's on fire. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but I was like, do you think Amazing. anyone on set was afraid, like, oh, shit, what if we actually create a golem for real? Um, but we'll get into that later, I'm sure. No, nobody thought that because it's an Israeli production. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. If you know, you know. It's like, they're like, oh. no, this is like weird fruity stuff. Jews don't believe that. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, no. No, so, the goyim. I mean, like, it really is like, 
at least how I grew up, which again was in a reform, uh, liberal, uh, Jewish household and synagogue, it was never presented as like, yep, these are real things. You believe this. It was always yeah. just like, who wants to hear some stories? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Who's ready to hear the story of why Judah totally had it coming? It sucked for him, but did he have it coming? Kind of, sort of, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yes. So, yeah, like, yeah. I don't mind all this. Like, I don't mind the use of Kabbalah as just like, we Jewish <laughs> magic and wizards, because we know it's all just nonsense. So why not just use it as an excuse for Jewish wizards? Yeah. Like, in a fiction setting, just... To me, like, it doesn't feel like, oh, it's using the faith in a disrespectful way because we know these out. Everyone knows that these are the silliest nonsense elements of the religion. Yeah. Yeah, Just the real problem with Christianity. There isn't that line for us for some reason (laughs) where everybody just doesn't believe the crazy nonsense parts that are written down. They're just like, no, that's real. That's what happened. That's it. Yeah, like we, we were talking earlier about the exorcist and, and the fact that they had to name the demon Pazuzu. People were like, oh yeah, Pazuzu. Like you could just say that and then you sound smart rather than like, what the fuck is Pazuzu? You know, <laughs> oh yeah, he's, he he watches over se- him once. Yeah, 17 Wait, are, legions are, are of hell. Are there people who think Pazuzu is real? I mean, well, Pazuzu is totally real. And then I lit a candle with Elvis dressed <laughs> as a saint on it and Pazuzu went away. It's a perfect system. Uh, a little bit about the movie before we start. So, so director, Doran Paz, Yoav Paz, uh, writers Ariel Cohen, stars Hanai Furstenberg and Ishai, Ishai Golan. I feel like I did okay on the directors and the writers, but boy, did the stars yes. trip me up. <laughs> it's okay. So what is it about from our old friends at IMDb? During an outbreak of a deadly plague, a mystical woman must save her tight-knit Jewish community from foreign invaders. No, they're not. They are native Lithuanians. <laughs> But the entity she conjures to protect them is a far greater evil. Uh, so how about it, gang? Uh, scare level. Is this spoopy, spooky, terrifying, or existentially disconcerting? I think it's solidly in the spooky territory. Um, it's it's too much too serious to be spooky. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's very gory. And you know, I'm sure we'll get into trigger warnings later for all kinds of like uh, content that might upset people. I just try it. Try as it might, I just don't think there's anything that scary about it. I mean, it does have one of the creepiest little kids I've seen in creepy little kid movies. Uh, this yeah. that little boy has nothing behind his eyes. Uh, he is an incredible actor. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Michael Myers. That's him. That's what they said about Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. Michael Myers a yeah. golem? Is that why he you can't kill him? Maybe. No. Oh, is that why he wears the mask so you can't see the the Hebrew the letters on his face? forehead? Mm. We'll, we'll, we'll get into this uh, once we get into the spoiler section, but I'm actually really into it. I know Paul Rudd <laughs> did a magic ceremony on him in that one movie. Was that Kabbalah? I, you know, it's I, I, I you know, know it's hard for me to not like. I'm gonna always sort of have a bit of like a pro golem, like yeah, but he's right, right? Like except for like I, I you know. I thought that this would be a terrifying movie on account of the fact that like, aside from the actual making of an animate, like, you know, being from dirt, like represents an actual pogrom of, you know, Lithuanians literally killing all the Jews, which is 
literally what happened to my family. So I was expecting it to be terrifying for that reason. But the fact is I didn't have nightmares and I've been having a lot of vivid dreams lately. And therefore I have to just rate it as spooky instead of terrifying because between the, like the thing that actually happened to us, if it didn't give me nightmares, I guess it's just spooky. Yeah. To me, what was existentially terrifying about this movie had nothing to do with the golem or the mysticism, nothing to do with those parts to me was the way that the, the was the precariousness of the shadows existence yeah. in Lithuania, that they yeah. were forced to isolate and then blamed for their isolation. Yeah. That at any time that they, at, that no matter what they did, no matter how peaceful they were, at any time their existence could be wiped out by the majority uh, ethnic group in the area. Like at any time, just like the utter precariousness of Jewish existence for a few thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just scary knowing that's how a shitload of ancestors actually lived minus the golem parts. But like, you know that already, like that's just the lived reality is the thing. Like it's, you know what I mean? So like I, I expected like one of the reasons I was worried about the movie because I was like, I don't want to like see like a cheapened version of like the actual tragedies that mm-hmm. happened at massive scale. We, we, and this movie didn't do that. Like it didn't, it wasn't cheap at all. There's like, a, I guess there sort of was like a, spa- a like a space for me between the supernatural elements of the story and then the, rea- the reality of the world, which is just like perpetually upsetting and raging and like, affects your ability to like feel like function in society versus like the supernatural element that is sort of on top of it so yeah Yeah, I think there's there's really only a few moments in this movie that I thought were like really scary and almost none of those have anything to do with the golem yeah Yeah. well I think that the the horror narrative in this movie is solidly spooky the historical context can be existentially disconcerting um, yes, and, that's a good and, way to put it. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's about do that warnings. first, and then Trigger I have warnings. a very important question. Uh, gore, like a lot of gore, specifically anti-Semitic violence, lynching imagery, uh, violence against women, uh, miscarriage, deceased children, uh, gun violence, sexism. Um, yeah. yeah, sexism. Mm-hmm. Is there yeah. anything else? I think speaking of sexism, we might want to be a little bit more specific about what that looks like in this movie because we're dealing with a community that's making it very explicit the sort of uh, compulsion that people, specifically women, are supposed to have like like, oh, well, of course you're supposed to have children. And for a lot of people, that might be very upsetting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, it's interesting. All of those, like, like, all of the all of the cultural parts of those trigger warnings are things that could absolutely be triggering for me often. And so it was kind of like, lucky I'm feeling okay, like watching that that night. Like, I don't know if I would have been up for watching it the day after the election, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so it's for like, sure. It's like the context of it, you know, I think it, so reserve, be aware of where your head is at in terms of the fun movies like the Baba Duke for, for after elections. <laughs> yeah, I mean oh, that, yeah. that's what I'm saying though. You know what I mean? So like I think what like it could be triggering some on it could be triggering in some moments and not in others, just depending on your mode immediate and emotional proximity. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, and that's the end of our non-spoilery section. If you haven't seen the movie and you 
want to before we talk about it, uh, feel free to do that now. That is the Golem, which is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, we'll still be here when you come back. And uh, now the spoilery section. Okay, okay. question. Uh, right, right at the top, before we get into like specifics, I did want to like give uh, people a space to like talk about what the actual like legend is with the golem, like where that comes from, what 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 we know about it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I, Emily, I, I'd, I'd love to get exploding like, as part of it, but yeah, it's heavy exploding part of it. Yeah, I I'd love uh, if if you guys don't mind, I'd love to give uh, the listeners and all of you the, the briefest possible rundown of what the golem traditionally is, and I'll tell the briefest possible version of the most famous golems. First of all, grain of salt, I am not a rabbi. I certainly am not an expert in the Kabbalah. I'm not like particularly religious, so big grain of salt with all the Jewish stuff. However, we tried to get Madonna on for this episode, but she didn't write us back. We tried to have a real Kabbalah expert. Next time. (laughs) God. I would love to know what Madonna thinks. Um, but I wonder if she's tried to make a golem. Oh, man. Boy toy. She probably I th- has. I would like to think she thought about it, but then she watched Full Metal Alchemist and she was like, ooh, better not. Oh, yeah, I learned about stuff from there, too. <laughs> I, I just like the idea of Madonna watching anime. Oh, you know she does. All right. So do golems make people's heads explode? Okay, so this is actually an important thing to keep in mind that the golem is a myth or a a legend, folklore, whatever you want to call it. Point being is, as with any other culture, the legend changes from storyteller to storyteller, from different areas of the world might have their own special versions of the story. There's not necessarily a ton of can be. However, different versions of the golem often do have different powers. Before I get into that, I should probably get into what a golem actually is before I get into the different powers. Uh, A golem is basically a humanoid figure made out of clay, much like a dreidel. Dreidels (laughs) are a little tough. And there are letters on it, and I guess it could spin if necessary. Guys, is Wonder Woman a dreidel? Is Wonder Woman a golem? Oh my god. Yes. I think Wonder Woman, the code, guys. Wonder Woman is kind of a golem, but continue, continue. She yes, made of yes, clay? Yes. 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 I mean, she used to be. Well, I guess she is. Yeah. The movie version made, isn't, but the... the she's made out of sand. And the post-New 52 uh, Wonder Woman is, uh, is not made of clay. I'm pretty sure the official canon now is, go with whatever you like best. Oh, yeah. Well, I like the version where she's a golem. Much like superhero comics, Segway, legends have different versions. But what's pretty consistent is you build this humanoid-looking figure from clay, and you write on its forehead uh, the Hebrew word emet, which means live or life. And then when you want to... Oh, and, and that here's the important thing the golem comes to life. Uh, It's all in different versions. The level of sentience is different. Sometimes it's kind of just a robot kind of thing that's just at the command of its master. Uh, In other versions, it kind of develops a consciousness of its own, and that can be very dangerous as the movie. But what's pretty consistent is that it follows the commands of its creator. In some versions, such as in this movie, uh, you write little notes and you put it in its mouth 
to kind of input a command. What's also consistent is, you know, you, you don't usually see the golem just kind of like doing people's dishes or doing their yard work. It's usually pretty explicitly to defend a Jewish community from anti-Semitism. Which brings me to the most famous version of the story of the golem, the 16th or 17th century, uh, maybe, maybe it kind of ran through both, in the Old New Synagogue, which is a real synagogue that's still standing to this day in Prague. Mm. It's the actually oldest synagogue in the world, I believe, that's still standing. There was, as so often happens in Jewish history, the um, Czech people, uh, the Czech government, I should say, uh, decided that they no longer liked the Jews and were doing all these pogroms and whatnot, you know, committing all this violence against it. And then act of desperation, the rabbi, Rabbi Judah Ben Lowe, created a golem. And there are, again, different versions of how things went, but the version I prefer is that, well, at first, the golem is kind of like a superhero. People often like to make the Superman comparison, uh, or maybe more uh, appropriately Ben Grimm, the thing. The golem started by defending the Jewish people from the uh, non-Jews who were trying to commit horrible violence against them it's clobbering um, time what mm-hmm. it's clobbering, clobbering time. time yes it, it was it was indeed clobbering time when you're seeing that level of anti-semitism absolutely it's, it's, it's certainly clobbering time uh but the golem goes too far uh is a pretty key part of the legend in my eyes the way that goes down is uh different different story. Sometimes it starts killing non-Jews indiscriminately. Sometimes it even starts attacking uh, Jewish people. Either way, the what rabbi... what we see in this movie. Yes, absolutely, as we see in this movie. Uh, and Rabbi Judah Ben Lowe uh, realized that he had made a terrible mistake, or at least he had let on, go on too long, and he erased the word emet from the forehead by, by actually he only erased the vowel so instead yeah. of emet which again means life or live it read met which means death or maybe die uh, apologies for my very very poor uh hebrew dead for any- dead as in dead and, as okay. being yeah and that's I, why pretty- any golems listening planning on going on a murder rampage remember to wear your naruto naruto forehead protector yes yeah so they can't wipe it off yes but here's the most interesting part for me so i mentioned before that the old new synagogue is a real synagogue that's still standing in prague according to legend the golem is still sitting there somewhere in the attic of the old new synagogue all like covered in cobwebs and stuff i suppose and the attic of the old new synagogue is closed to the general public. Now, I tell people this sometimes, and they're like, okay, but how many public buildings open up the attic to the general public? Yeah. To which I say, I don't care what you have to hide, show me the golem. <laughs> that, they're clearly hiding that it's clearly still stalking the streets of Prague, dispensing of vile justice. justice. Yes. <laughs> so, I know a fucking franchise setup when I hear one. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it, oh man, they've 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 been teasing that franchise for like five hundred years. <laughs> except you know now, the, the... Go, except now, after all these years, Golem is just like gotten over murder, and they just want to help like the police solve murder like murders, and also they're hunky, and now they have a relationship with the lady detective. Oh yeah, what you're describing is gargoyles. Yeah, yeah gargoyles I was going to say. Or... <laughs> Roger there is a Gollum and Gargoyles. So like Gargoyles season three, this was the only pop cultural representation of a Gollum I'd seen in my life until all this stuff. I mean, okay, superheroes in general, yes. But I mean, something where it's just like, this is a Gollum is during season three of Gargoyles when Goliath goes on like the world tour of oh, uh, yes. all of the different gargoyle equivalents in various cultures. And the one he meets in Eastern Europe for the Jewish people is the Gollum. Um, and that like oh. really made me very happy as a you, kid, actually. It, but that's because so it was I, positive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, like, yes, kill, kill, you know, like, sorry. I, I might have to watch Gargoyles now. Like I was like aware of yeah. it in preschool, but I was too young. Oh my god, it's it so holds good. up. It holds up. We've been doing a rewatch. Oh yeah, Gargoyles. I, I, if there's fantastic. a golem, I have to watch. Okay. So I, I haven't gone that. I haven't there's an episode of X Files too. Has oh, okay. That that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't see the X Files one. The, I have not re rewatched the Gargoyles Gollum one, but like I was like straight in like Jewish day school and shit when that came out, and I liked it. So that probably means it's like not offensive, you know. So, <laughs> so. Getting ready for this, digressively horrified. One of my favorite bits about Gargoyles is that I'm pretty sure it's the most historically accurate retelling of Macbeth's rule of Scotland ever. Oh yeah, the yeah. whole part with the gargoyles yeah. and they, the living dragon I mean, people mine, that fucking turn into minus the yeah minus the part where Macbeth has his own private monster army. It mostly just skips all of like the pro Elizabeth propaganda that Shakespeare put in, and you mm -hmm. just get that straight dope Macbeth rule where it was twenty years long and pretty good. See, all I remember about Gargoyles was I was a little preschool boy who would watch literally anything on TV that had fighting in it. And that was kind of, it gave me that. And I was too young for anything else to make an impression on me because I, I didn't know about Elizabethans at that time. Um, Gargoyles changed my life. Okay, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm ready for it to change mine. And yeah. I mean, not that they didn't know about Shakespeare, given that Puck was a literal supporting character. Played by Brent Spiner. Yeah, oh, they, yeah. they, they use like, they like use Puck, like, literally from A Midsummer Night's Dream? Yes. Yeah. It's also, literal it's also a muck with Star Trek The Next Generation uh, cast members. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. the two yeah. main villains are Riker and Troy. Yeah, they got Diana. They're they so got a, good. Yeah, they're super good. Yeah, Demona. Um, is Demona a villain? I mean, really? No. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, Demona's a Demona did girl. nothing wrong. That's actually not true. But yeah. nevertheless, there is that one time where she turned all those humans to stone and then just smashed like a shit ton of them. I mean, it depends yeah. on the humans. No, anyway, goals. I mean, Eighties New York. So. Anyway, back to <laughs> the 90s. back to back to the movie by which I mean starting the movie. <laughs> so we have the story of the golem nowhere in the oh yes i'm, I'm oh, sorry yes. i'm sorry if I i'm sorry for interrupting greg actually I, yes I, I, not I, getting no, to the no, movie you, did, you didn't interrupt at all. i forgot to mention anything about the golem's powers because you had yeah. asked about head explosions and yes. all i could say of that is 
I don't remember any version other than this movie in which the golem has the power to explode people's heads. But also, I don't think there's any reason why the golem shouldn't be able to explode heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in different versions, he does have different powers. I, what, what's pretty consistent is that the golem's very strong because he's yeah. like made of this hardened clay. Uh, again, much like Ben Grimm, the thing. Uh, but uh, in some versions, he's actually kind of like Clayface, the Batman villain, uh, where I don't recall if he can necessarily disguise himself like Clayface can, but that thing where Clayface is able to just kind of like melt into mud and slip under doors and stuff like that, there are some versions of the Golem where he he can do that, and I think that's very... um, And for all I know, there are versions of the Golem where he has like heat vision or x-ray vision or whatever uh and people like to say that uh superman is very golem like i uh if i start going off about superman comparisons we're gonna have a whole nother digressively horrified so i won't do that um but this golem um, we yeah this golem we get here pretty much just has two moves uh, heart rip and head boom yeah, I, yeah. Assume it's they, a knife. I assume they do the head explosion because they think it would either be too comical or too traumatizing for the kid to have that kid like squeeze people's heads until they burst. Like just to have <laughs> yeah. him walk up and go and like, you know, crush people's heads and have jelly fly all over him or whatever. I mean, it works. And, and that's the nice thing about these folklore, you know, like these folklore characters is that you can kind of make up whatever, um, you know, with the, with the, the, retelling of these stories and these updated versions of the stories i mean i'm sure it's been updated constantly since the story started so um yeah i mean this movie introduced a bunch of like the psychic connection between golem and creator and the golem being a child like yeah yeah The, the golem being a child i think is the most unique thing that this movie brings mm-hmm. to the lore uh and uh, uh, you know we'll we'll get much more into that but this is definitely not a traditional looking golem that we have yeah well there's in the very beginning we have the scene in prague where we see something that looks more like a traditional golem from what i remember which is our start of the movie which we learn which honestly this movie starts with honestly one of my favorite uh opening lines like i love this line uh when telling the story of our people it's impossible to separate the truth from the myth like, I just yeah. love that. I, I just think that's it's great. We are 5,000 years old. That feels accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so in the prologue, we really our story begins uh, the way most Jewish stories either begin or end or at least some point in the middle. Uh. Everybody's dead. It happens. Yep. A lot. Yep. Uh, <sighs> we learn that Everyone's dead because uh, of the golem, which was created by the Maharal, a very important uh, Jewish uh, uh, leader and rabbi and mystical mystic in this world. Um, And all of his followers are dead, trying to destroy the golem. And eventually we see the Maharal's head go explodey. And the only survivor is a little girl who ran away in time to not have her head explodey. And they do mention in this part in the narration the Kabbalah, which I, I, that is one thing that I 
found interesting because I've seen these before these the 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 golem myth in other stuff like the gargoyles and the x-files and blah, 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 and never have they just name dropped Kabbalah which they do a lot in this movie where they're like you know the Kabbalah the they use the Kabbalah to make the golem go alive and I would imagine that's partly uh Kabbalah's general like just the general awareness of Kabbalah as a thing yeah is more mainstream than it was in the 90s and also just what you get from it being a Hebrew production that knows more about no I mean what else are they going to say it is it's not like the Torah tells you how to do it it's not in the Torah it's like random ass mythology so you know what's interesting I could see if this wasn't a Hebrew production I could see like a Gentile not giving a shit and just saying it's in the Torah Right, exactly. And that's mm-hmm. what would have been, a, that's what would have been fucked up, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is the way the opening of the story is framed. You have the, our protagonist, um, you know, she's Abigail, she is being, uh, she's not allowed to study Torah in the synagogue. Um, and she's especially not allowed to study the Kabbalah. So she is trying to, she's like learning and hiding. Basically, you know, her husband who is the son of the rabbi is like enabling this for her because he's like, yeah, that's fucked up if she's not allowed to like learn things. That's just mm-hmm. a stupid role, but was not unusual. We can't, um, be fill- and- we can't be filling her with knowledge. You gotta be filling her with babies. <laughs> Which she's also trying to do, but that's another story. He's like babies and knowledge, but um. But anyway, so, you know, uh, so you have this sort of, it's it's all kind of packaged together to the viewer as being, this is knowledge that's forbidden to her, but it isn't, but it's like, but the movie doesn't attribute like how to make a golem from like, and then in the book of Exodus, it tells you how to do this. Cause like- Yeah, yeah it's, I, I, go ahead. Well, I just think it's uh, important uh, at this point in the conversation to clarify uh, for the Gentile listeners <laughs> that, um, there is a real compartmentalization in Judaism between the sort of mythological stuff like like the golem and you know the mystical side of Judaism like the Kabbalah and the stuff that's actually like a normal part of the religion. We don't I, I really need to make this clear the, mm-hmm. that very few people uh, very few Jewish people in my life know anything about the gold. Mm-hmm. This is obscure even among the 0.2% of the world that's Jewish. Um, and that's not to say that it's, you know, something that, that uh, we can't appreciate or, or that, you know, everyone just kind of brushes aside. But like, you know, if the idea, you know, there, there's there's the Jewish culture and there's the Jewish religion, and these two things are not interchangeable. Yeah, if we're right. talking not about the same. if we're talking about actual text that would be considered sacred or absolutely central to the culture, uh, it would be the Torah and the Talmud. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kabbalah is just like. <laughs> this fun quasi-canon fantasy spinoff. Yeah, well, it's just, it's, it's, it's not, interesting. Well, no, literally, if, if canon means canon, no, it is not canon. Like, it's yeah. Canon. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the crazy thing is that it's the same for Christian mythology, is like, the stuff that's in the Bible, there's very little stuff about angels and demons. There's very little stuff about heaven and hell. There's very little stuff about the war between angels 
Like yeah. these are not things that are like actually part of the Bible, but for some reason, Christianity as a whole has just decided to like believe a lot of this stuff um, and like take it on on faith as it were. That, I like, don't know when people thought book of revelations was an actual part of the bible and not just a weird fanfic that's super metal and looks cool on a van i mean revelations is like that's the exception because that's actually in yeah. the you know yeah. king james yeah. bible i don't uh, know anything that's the new testament don't worry about it. <laughs> no, yeah. again. i didn't pay attention it's the sequel yeah yeah exactly yeah. i didn't pay attention to the speed two of religious texts <laughs> i was gonna say that the t2 judgment day <laughs> But I, I decided to be way more confrontational. That's no, that's fine. Also, T two, you know, you can make arguments about T two being good, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to get that um, competitive. Speed two about cruise doing all, control. Yeah, speed the speed two cruise control of the New Testament. And the two the speedening. The Terminator is a little bit like a golem. That's true. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, especially in T two. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's a golem oh. made by other golems. Really crazy. Whoa. Honestly, the golem singularity is, yeah. Once the golems start making other golems, I'm pretty sure that was a plot point in one of the Discworld books. So does this golem, it, can you do a Turing test for a golem? Well, if it found a tortoise on its back, would it flip it over? What's depends a tortoise? Depends on what part in the... Uh, I was I was doing that I was I was I was trying to do the replicant test in the okay right yeah and and I was I was following you up there um yeah so well the the thing that's that's interesting to me about the um and and also shows my ignorance about like the 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 Kabbalah and all and and its um relationship to the Torah you know because they refer to the Torah in the movie um and this, the 72 characters of, of God, which I've heard about before, but it's all like been through the filter of, like you say, like yeah, for the, the Gentile, you know, the weird mysticism that has been um, just the same way that yoga has been appropriated. This has been appropriated. Yes. But yeah. yeah it's and, like, I, I, think, I don't know much, but I know the 72 names of God is a thing. I don't think mm-hmm. it's like I pulled out the decoder ring and then I found the hidden <laughs> word search. Oh yeah, she was she was pulling I, out that decoder ring that like millions of people have been trying to figure that shit out for you know. I think that's mad to... national treasure in the middle. Like yeah, she just <laughs> it goes There's... from like this is a thing that could potentially happen with years and years of study to I must sit down and figure this shit out tonight. Like yeah, I need she a goal figures out tonight. how to. She figures out how to create magical life in the same amount of time it took Tony Stark to crack time travel. Right. Um, and Kirk. But I mean, it was in space. But anyway, um, the, uh, the just the interesting thing to me about that, that naming is that, you know, with with like other um, other examples, like you'd have the folklore and people would say folklore as opposed to referring to a very specific thing. Mm. which is the Kabbalah, but I, I'm not sure like, where does the Kabbalah fit into folklore? You know, like it, well, it's, mean, it's a little, pe- I mean, it's a, it's a small piece of folk. I mean, folklore is so vast. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That's so. why I, I thought it was interesting that they specifically were like, they use the Kabbalah to make a golem. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was, that I mean, just piqued my, my curiosity. <laughs> I definitely feel part of it was it's the thing you can use 
without offending anybody or having anybody. Yes. Like, yeah. It's the thing yes. you can use because nobody takes it seriously. Yes, exactly. Like I think that being an Israeli, you know, production and all that, like they're like, you know, you're not going to like have the actual stuff from the Torah because that would be offensive. So mm-hmm. it's going to be yeah. the thing nobody cares about. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah. So after that prologue, we cut to uh, we cut ahead to 1673 to a shuttle in Lithuania. Shtetl, where sorry, are... It's killing me. Killing me. Shtetl. Uh, Shtetl. 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 Village. Shtetl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where Hannah is seeing the local healer Perla for what we later learn is a tonic to keep from conceiving a child. I thought it was something to help conceive a child. Well, that's what we're supposed to. That's on purpose. They want us to assume that it's to help her conceive. And then it's the revelation later that it's, she's actually trying to. Okay. I wasn't sure if I just missed something. Okay. No, that was very deliberate. Like that, the movie was doing a, and like, you know, you see the wise woman being like, like not loving that she has to do this. So you're kind of like, I wonder what the subtext is. Is she, is she like irritated that it still hasn't worked yet? Like, you don't really know why she seems disappointed by the whole, why the wise woman seems disappointed by the whole situation, but you're definitely supposed to assume she's getting something to try to get pregnant because that is the cultural assumption of what you're supposed to. Yeah. And they, they very quickly um, establish that there's some pressure on her. I mean, pressure to the point where her father-in-law, the leader of their village is telling her husband, look, it's been seven years since she had another kid. Like, it, that's totally legit. You can divorce the hell out of her. Like, and you should. Yeah. Father-in-law slash town leader slash rabbi is a real chip. Like, a real, like, oh, you've been such a drag since your son died and you got real into dark magic. Yeah, he is not, he is not sympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Could we also, at this point, since we're talking about the rabbi, uh, could could we talk about the accents in this movie? Oh yeah, yes, please. Wildly different accents. I I I I mean, some of them sound vaguely American. Some of them sound vaguely European. I, I'll I'll be the first to say I'm not great at placing accents. I, I like, don't know what a Lithuanian accent sounds like, but the rabbi, that rabbi sounds like he could be, I, I, I'm, I'm recording this from my uh, uh, family's place in New Jersey. He sounds like he could be one of my grandma's friends. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the like, everyone in this very remote isolated town is seems to be from wildly different parts of the world. Like Hannah, is very American sounding. Uh, her husband, Benjamin, I think may have the best accent, but he just seems like he's just planning, for, like getting ready for his fiddler on the roof audition. And then Horowitz yeah. is well, getting they're both, ready. They're both, they're both Israeli. Yeah. Yeah. And then Horowitz, the rabbi, is fucking aud- is playing Krusty's dad. <laughs> yeah. ja- Jackie <laughs> Mason. It, it, like, it, uh, Jackie Mason is like, uh, straight up Jackie Mason passed, actually. territory um, like that, that was the voice of Krusty's dad and, and that's that's a perfect comparison it, it's pretty wild to the point where I have to wonder if it's intentional mm. and then yeah. we have Vladimir who doesn't sound like he doesn't have a Russian Eastern European I don't know what's going on but he definitely has an accent all Christians no, we're, sound we're not the even same two. 
we're not even too Vladimir yet. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I want to talk even, about those guys when they pop up. So we're not even. Uh, yeah, we're. Uh, so after <laughs> seeing Perla the healer, uh, Hannah goes sneaks underground under the synagogue, uh, so she can overhear and listen in on the study of Kabbalah, which is, and Torah, which she is forbidden to do. Uh, and then she also overhears her fucking shithead of a father-in-law uh, advising his son to divorce her for not uh, having a kid uh, in seven years. Uh, but Benjamin isn't 100% awful. So he mm -hmm. rejects this advice and even sneaks her a Torah book to uh, study from, uh, though he Warns her like, ooh, your lady brain can't handle the madness that the Kabbalah will induce. <laughs> go for it anyway. What's the harm? And then I they have really bad sex. I do appreciate that. Like, and this is just for me as someone who absolutely craves the little morsels even of, of Jewish stuff and horror. I love how everyone talks about the Kabbalah and these hush. Like, they're so afraid of this forbidden arcane power they treat it like the necronomicon yet they mm -hmm. fucking have nightly classes on it yeah <laughs> oh it's like oh we can't we're okay we can't i don't we think can't. that i don't think he was teaching i i have to watch again more carefully but i don't think he was teaching kabbalah in the class i think yeah it might, have, it might have just been regular torah study yeah, yeah. I, I think it was regular torah study and uh, Hannah, being just a very uh, curious person, I think we're just meant to understand that, you know, she had gone so deep into her Jewish learning that at some point, you know, she got her hands on the forbidden stuff. And because uh, I think it's kind of implied that even a lot of the, the men who, who are more formerly former formally uh, learning this stuff even they uh, aren't fully aware of what she's talking about when she yeah i mean she is she is answering all the questions uh quietly underneath the you know the floorboards as the rest of them are not sure what the hell he's talking yeah. about like because they're so there's a whole uh bit i don't know anything about about the like six elements that make up man of the merkava uh, yeah, and that she is, you know, she is reciting from memory and, and none of them are on the same page. Yeah, well, there's there's the whole thing about the the Star of David and how it combines elements and that. And from, I don't know where that is in the Torah. I that's wouldn't just, know. That's, yeah, but, that's metaphoric stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. But it's, but it's not completely like fruity out there if they follow me yeah like, this is like, yeah this is this is metaphorical stuff that's commonly yeah that makes sense there's they're um, stretching things but they're not making it up out of whole cloth yeah well I, I imagine it is it is a subjective one of the subjective elements of i'll say know. the captain planet would have been way crazier if he just started blowing up people's heads yeah well he's only five elements he's not six. Oh, you're right the, the fifth yeah. element is or the sixth element we talk about the fifth element that's boron sixth element it's heart it's heart no the fifth oh <laughs> uh, well that's the thing is that the actual sixth element is heart and Look, there's the classic elements earth wind fire water Mila jovovich heart yeah <laughs> yeah and so that's the thing is that the this golem 
obviously had hurt because he was able to take it out of everybody else. Mm. Had so many hearts, by the had a whole yeah. fucking collection. Yeah, he's like heart. I got fire, got water, got air, got earth, got Mijovovich and mm-hmm. boron and phosphorus, no. sulfur. Is is Hannah no. the Mijovovich of this movie? I, I think she's. Redhead, so. I think she's yeah. the uh, the weird golden walking guys with light up crotches i don't know this is the fifth element's a wacky movie but you know a long time after uh benjamin and hannah have like two second sex where benjamin immediately prays for another child and it's just real unsatisfying as a viewer oh my god i've seen barbies have sex that is a lot more passionate than this it just feels uncomfortable yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's definitely in, 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 intentional because yes. well, oh, yeah. a, oh yeah for sure uh later on in the movie that's very different but in its own way also extremely awkward uh, <laughs> yes. but yeah it, it's definitely very weird that like i mean without again i'm i'm visiting i'm visiting my, my family at the moment so i don't want them to overhear my description of the sex scene but um it's heavily imply that he's still uh doing the deed while he when he gets to the point where he's decided it's time for prayer and it's horrible (laughs) it's really like sex for everyone including us yes yeah so after that uh hannah we're introduced to hannah's sister rebecca when they go swimming and we learn that the sister's getting married and on their way back, uh, Rebecca expresses worry that they are getting too close to the Gentiles, which is always a legit worry. You don't yeah. want to get too close to the Gentiles. The, the scariest moment in this it, movie is when they're both sitting on the rock. Yes. 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 They're both sitting on the rock at the lake and like she's like, look over there. And there's like a crazy dude in a you know plague doctor mask and everything just like watching them. Plague doctor like, masks are always creepy. Always. Yeah. yeah. Always and they creepy. know they yeah. also know that it's gentiles so it's like yeah it's just if that's mass, that's the one time i screamed actually you were such a jewish person change in this movie like mm-hmm. hey guess what if you're a jewish person in the 17th century lithuania and a mass gentile just starts showing up you're fucked yeah and it's specifically significant that because like you know the movie actually does like addresses this but like jews were were, were blamed and are today uh, mm-hmm. for spreading yep. plagues, quote unquote. So yep. you like the the it's so it would have been scary enough just having it be a dude standing there, but having it be a dude standing there in plague dress means that you know what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next is he's going to accuse them of spreading a plague. Well, which yeah. is so funny because it's clear that they've been forced to the margins of society where they're completely isolated, yeah. and then because they're isolated they don't get the black plague and then exactly that they're yeah. not getting the plague becomes proof of them causing the plague so there's a uh, it's a rate there's no way to win there's no way for them to just live and exist without like and just be which uh, to me now skipping ahead a little bit when hannah starts talking about making the golem it's kind of a leap because like these people are these gentiles have showed up and they're being shitty uh, it's the same thing um and uh <laughs> and you know the the rabbi is like well you know do the, we'll figure it out and she's like no we got to fight back 
And does she say, oh, we got to organize or, oh, we got to do this. Or, you know, she's like, we're going to make a golem. And that's quite a leap. But then you think about it. Um, these motherfuckers and plague masks coming along. I mean, yeah, I, I might skip to the end, too. And be like, let's do the craziest, most yeah. fucked up thing we can well, do. We find out. What a because they've tried all the other stuff before. Yeah. Right. right? You're like, well, there's not that many of us and we don't really have weapons. At, so. at no point does Horowitz advocate for any other strategy than thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. do want to say quite, quite literally. I do want to say um, they show up and start being shitty is maybe an understatement of what happens. Yes. Yeah, that's a the, little because the, little the underselling it. march into the middle of a wedding and shoot the dude in the head. And yeah, that's, yes. that's that's not they, exactly a microaggression. Yeah, they no. shoot a man in the head. They uh, punch Hannah's sister, Rebecca, uh, causing her to have a miscarriage, as we find out a few scenes later. And then they threaten to kill everyone in the village if they do not somehow magically cure uh, Vladimir's daughter, who is very much dying of the plague and definitely cannot be saved. And he's put this daughter like they also they have the whole marriage feast out on a table and they sweep all of the uh, the the food off this beautiful looking display of food, which includes Hala and they replace it with this plague carrying girl and i'm you know and especially now these days i'm like fuck you oh my god like that's the first of all that was holla second of all that was a (laughs) wedding thirdly she's not wearing a mask yes exactly why wasn't she a little baby plague mask no that's that's not how they did it then no, yeah. because they wanted them to get sick and die. Well, yeah, it's also tra- like, okay, so you guys don't have germ theory. You're all sick because you don't have fucking germ theory. You don't understand why sick people around is actually the reason why. But yeah. It's also, even if there is a, some sort of root understanding that maybe being near sick people causes other people to be sick, he's trying to do that to them. So it's like, it's it's an act of aggression that he's pretending is an act of like preserve and you know yeah. obviously chemical it's threat, I mean it's it's, it's, it's chemical like, warfare basically yeah exactly yeah. yeah I mean well he doesn't give a fuck what happens to them and he obviously you know like he has fucked up their very sacred and joyous occasion by throwing his plague ridden daughter into the middle of all of these people that were otherwise fine and then yeah. you know and then shoots a guy like it's yeah fucked so um, yeah, shoot a guy is his opening gambit. Yeah. Yeah. So Perla yeah. offers to try and heal the daughter, and Vladimir says that nobody can leave the village uh, until his daughter's healed, and if she dies, they kill everyone. I, uh, I, I do. I do want to point out just real quick one thing that I think we skipped over that's really important is that the the rabbi makes the point of tell of telling them we're isolated in this village. Yeah. That's why we're not sick. Yeah. Because uh, Vladimir he, is, is he telling He does them, try to explain it to them, and they're too yeah, fucking Yeah, because he's like, to... you guys aren't sick. Why Why the fuck? Is your, your magic made us sick and not you sick because of yeah. reasons. It's the Which kind we, of logic we, we, that honestly translates all the way to modern day where you have people going like, yep. you ever notice how it's only the unvaccinated people who seem to be dying of COVID these days? <laughs> yeah. And we, 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 we also do have to emphasize, like, this really is not far off from the way anti-Semitism manifested during this time in real life. Mm-hmm. Jews, yeah. Jews were blamed uh, were blamed for the plague 
for this very reason. Yep. And that's why it's so bad that people are bringing back COVID as a Jewish conspiracy. It's like not like it's like not a funny joke. Like they're like, yeah, yeah you Jews started it so they could make everybody get vaccinated and sell their drugs to yeah. us. Like that's like an actual line that people say so yeah so this shit goes back to at the very least the 1700s the 17th century and way earlier than that oh yeah yeah. and now we have QAnon, which is yeah yeah so hannah and horowitz uh argue about how to handle vladimir uh horowitz is all team thoughts and prayers whereas uh hannah Mm -hmm. is kind of immediately jumping to plan golem which yeah makes sense yeah at this point i'm into Again, it changes with the benefit of hindsight. At this point in the film, I am entirely on Hannah's side. Let's open up a can of Jewish mystical whoop-ass. Um, I did have a moment here where I was like, Hannah has no sense of self-preservation whatsoever because like, she leaps straight in with stuff she is not supposed to know. And like, it's like, yeah, let's do this forbidden shit that I'm not supposed to know about Yeah, uh, just... to, to end this. And the rabbi's like, uh, sorry, what? Like... <laughs> so and then the rabbi spaces yeah and then he slams her with the the most like fucking heinous burn where he's like first of all you're not supposed to know that second of all you can't even conceive how the fuck are you gonna make a golem which is a completely like personal attack off subject absolutely like like, hey how do we deal with invaders i vote golem yeah well you can't have kids Yeah, I mean, but it's also like like, this is you know, like the you know the the the, her her husband's understanding of why she's obsessed with the Kabbalah is because he thinks she's trying to understand. Well, she is trying to understand like the law, the tragic loss of her of their son that they had together, and like why did that happen? Why did God take my son away? But he also probably thinks she's trying to study to figure out how to get knocked up. If it, um, if it had been modern day, he would have fucking put that on YouTube with a title been like, local rabbi owns SGW, social golem warrior. That's pretty good. Oh, God. That's pretty good. But, you know, but, 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 but what's nice in that moment is the movie really does make it clear in case anybody wasn't paying attention that like, yes, this golem creation is a metaphor for her ability to create life. Yeah. And like trying to say, yes, of course, it makes sense that a woman is going to try to figure out how to do this well, as a defense. It is it is skipping ahead, but my kind of my favorite part of the movie in this kind of like in the in a bit dumb in a dumb way uh, was when Perla is trying to convince uh, Hannah to destroy the golem and her plan of logic to convince this grieving mother is to talk about how the golem is an unkillable child who will stay the little boy with her forever right like <laughs> oh my god know your fucking audience are you <laughs> really Perla? fucking oh boy which hannah puts that to the test really fast and i'm like well girl, girl you got you there's some i think you need to go back to the books or or talk to perla maybe more because like you're mm, you're not what dealing is, with this very well. What but, you know, the, Perla isn't out there talking about her experience with the golem either, though. Yeah. This is her childhood trauma. She probably doesn't bring it up because she doesn't want people to think about it as a possibility because she's like, no, I've seen this happen and be allowed. What, what if yeah. Anna drowning the golem had worked and then she's just got like a body of a dead child on her hands? And it would turn into mud. Well, then, or people would see that the corpse had these cold dead black eyes and people would be like you know yeah i, I kind of yeah. get it 
so after so after Harvitz and uh, Hannah argue about whether or not to make a golem, uh, Hannah learns about her sister's miscarriage, and that convinces her to say, "Fuck everybody, I'm making a golem." Uh, we get some great national treasure decoding sequences. <laughs> yes. She finds I love seven, this part so much. She finds yeah. the seventy-two secret names of God. She's got. She's got to find them all. God, Amon. Yeah. No, words out and, uh, yeah. One one thing I I learned about myself uh, while rewatching this movie shortly after watching. I can't believe this is the first time we're bringing it up. Uh, what, what I, I watched uh, just a few weeks ago in preparation for for that essay I mentioned. I watched the 1920 movie, The Golem: How He Came Into the World, which yes. uh, I highly recommend for anyone. I don't care what you think. Like, oh, it's a silent film. I like I like it better than Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I like it better than Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, I know that those are like. I don't know that I like it more than those movies, but I definitely did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And my favorite thing about that movie is how far it just goes for it with these depictions of Jews doing magic, Jews doing Jewish magic. The the rabbi in that the the. and that's in that movie. It's Rabbi Rabbi Lowe, who I mentioned. Before. Is they doing the Prague? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he's dressed like a straight up wizard, and he is indeed a wizard rabbi. And mm-hmm. then it's you know fast forward to this 2018 version where you have this ordinary or seemingly ordinary Jewish woman, uh, just like going hard with the Jewish magic. It just like the whole time I I just like wanted to like bang my head to heavy metal it, it was just <laughs> ugh, love it well the fact that she lit that that star of david on fire around the the clay man that she made in the in the ground and it's like fucking it remind it reminded me of the crow where you like made the yeah, crow and yeah, fire, the fire. Yeah. and then it, you know fucking pure playing movie starring ben well no no in the, in the in the in the 1920 film the the fire special effects are tremendous and like it they're absolutely like having things coming out of rings of fire that is like literally actually happening because it's 1920 yeah um so that then the movie definitely carried it in from there that's awesome yeah i've, yeah, I've seen very good effects i've seen screenshots from that movie and but i haven't actually seen it well, so since, since, since we brought up i do want to clarify real quick that actually that 1920 movie is the third part of a trilogy of Golem movies uh, that, that started in 1915. The problem wow. is that, yeah, I, I just, I found this out actually after writing my essay, uh, which is a little embarrassing. Um, yeah, yeah th- so there, there was a, a 1915 movie called The Golem that took place in what was then modern day, modern day Germany, uh, 19, uh, and then the sequel, uh, from 1917 was the golem and the dancing kind of like a horror romance kind of thing from what i understand i'd love to watch these movies the problem is like unfortunately like a lot of uh films from that era especially in europe um they're almost entirely lost like literally the footage does not exist burned by nazis Probably, I'm thinking. Probably, yeah. I, I mean, it's it sucks because these are such important pieces of uh, of of not just film history but Jewish history, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's why I can and, assume that it was burned by Nazis. 
Yeah, um, I actually yeah. don't know the story as to why we have anything over the 1920. Like, I'm surprised we have the 1920 movie. Well, what's interesting know? about the 1921 is that um, I, I, I'd say you don't have to watch your first two, but also you literally can't, except for like a few minutes that are still available. But uh, the third, the, the, the 1921 is actually a prequel. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It, it's right. it's the Golem's origin. Oh, cool. The Golem and How He Came to Be is the name yes. of the movie and so that makes sense that they're, they're like this is golem the origin story yeah yes. yeah i feel like now modern day be like golem origins resurrection yes that would be <laughs> after the life judgment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, day yeah so j- j- just an utter tragedy all around yeah. yeah so hannah does uh the ritual to create the golem she uh reveals the code of the thembarak of the them Themerkaba, and to summon it, she plays the uh, Shem Hemafarash inside its mouth. Not good at pronunciations. Uh, to bring it to life with a fiery star of David for extra drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ritual makes her pass out, and she wakes up the next day to discover that the sculpture is gone, leaving only a hole. Uh, like the meme, like this is my hole. It was made for me. Uh, yeah, like. Mm. Um... Jinji Ito. Yeah. Even though um, not actually, because the sculpture looks like it was ready for like a six foot tall man and it's just a tiny little boy who comes out. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you kind of see that where you have there's there's this the big tall man that she has sculpted, and then there's like a small part of it that is missing. Um mm. and we don't get I, I we don't get to see a very good shot of that quite yet because. Uh, yeah, on her way back to the village, uh, Hannah is attacked by some of the Gentiles and uh, they attempt to lynch her. Uh, it is so, yeah, that is definitely one of the trigger warnings and one of the more upsetting scenes as they uh, try to hang her from a tree branch. Uh, and she is saved when the golem shows up and rips them the fuck to pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is upsetting watching them uh, attempt to lynch Hannah, but. Boy, is it cathartic just seeing anti-Semites just get fucked yes, up. completely eviscerated by a child. Oh, yeah. But that's upsetting again to see this child. I mean, when we first see him, first, first of all, he's naked. And mm-hmm. that's disconcerting in any horror movie when you see a naked monster. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's this, the, the little boy is just completely covered head to toe in mud and again, I just those, those eyes, those dark, expressionless eyes. It's truly a, a terrifying. I, I and, and you know, you could think like, okay, but he's a little boy. He does not look like a little when we first see him at all. This golem is, I think, the best part of the movie for me. Um, the symbolism, the the look, the behavior, the powers. Yeah, everything that goes into the existence of the golem um, mm-hmm. and his, like his whole development, I think is so cool because I, I, I love the idea of this kind of um, innocent looking kid being able to protect this entire village. You know, it has a, it's, it has a very like folklore hero kind of mood, but then also, you know, you, there's this unknowable uh darkness um 
that you're looking at here. And, and also it's another bait and switch because we see the first golem in the movie, which is very monstrous looking. And now this one just is a little kid, you know, she wipes away the mud and their skin, you know, and when he's not using his powers, he has uh, the sclera of his eyes are showing rather than just like the black sort of insect eyes that he has when he, when he's, you know, exploding what? people they do mm -hmm. with the eyes in this movie is so effective like so after uh, one of the most affecting thing they do is right after the golem saves her from uh, the gentiles trying to lynch her is uh she brings him back to the barn and she closes the door on the barn and you just have this moment where it's his eyes are just so bright and you're just seeing the eyes and then they're just slowly turning into like shadowy darkness eyes and oh boy is it just a whole bunch of creepiness yeah, there's a and there's it's it's a process as she kind of discovers that she's created the golem because she hasn't she doesn't really see it. Um, and she doesn't really realize it's followed her home until things have gotten a little weird at home. And then um, I think uh, and, and this is where we find out that she has lost her previous child, uh, Joseph, yes. who it's been very strongly implied. Yeah, that yeah, like, he drowned. She has a chest of things. I think you even see at one point just like a brief flash of like a child lying face and down. Floating on the, in the, 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 the uh, yeah. Hannah has a line talking to the golem where she describes her son and says, he would have been your age. Uh, this golem was born yesterday. You made him yesterday, Hannah. Yeah, and then there was eight does not make him actually eight. He is one day but that's, old. But that's a sign of how she's persona, how she's regarding him as a person. Yeah, because totally. she knows totally. he's not eight, but she he, she connects him with her yeah. son. There's a reason. I mean, look, there's a reason why when he springs to life, he's the size and shape of her dead son is because this is her creation. For sure. Yeah, which I think like, is just it's and that's her art for so most good. of the movie is just getting further and further into this lie that this is her son reborn yeah um which says so much i mean it's it's her projection it's the golem uh preserving itself um and you know it it also has this it almost like fey element where you have this image of the you know a childlike image of innocence of this unknowable power you know the same way that that um there's something uniquely fey about a magical childlike creature just ripping men up to shreds yeah yeah, yeah. um so all around like really good uh presentation with the the creature um and the uh then um perla notices what's going on and perla says something that i also have a question about where she's uh she also reveals that she's the girl in the very beginning of the movie mm -hmm. um who witnessed the the destruction of the rabbi in prague um and who was trying to defend herself with broken glass um and she says that uh, hannah has made a pact with sutra akra i don't know what that is yeah, I, didn't I, admit, look I, don't, I, I don't know either. I probably should have looked it up. I, I feel I like this movie took a lot of disparate, and again, me not being an expert uh, on this thing, on this subject, I feel like this movie took a lot of disparate and unaffiliated terms or mystical concepts and kind of 
change them just enough to all fit into this golem mythology they're creating. I'd have to look at the words to be able to tell you. It doesn't. I uh, it, it I, I wrote them they, down. Like, really, they really. <laughs> oh, you did. Yeah, met, borrow did a term, chopped and screwed the mythology, and in the same way send... that so many. Uh, so many movies that involve Christian mythology and exorcisms and demons and things do the same thing. They're just like, oh yeah, this is all the same thing. This this all makes sense, right? Yeah, I definitely got that sense of, uh, yeah, this sounds right. Let's just make it what we need for the story. Uh, so yeah, so this is where we get, uh, you know, Perla being like, you have to destroy the golem. It's only the answer to all your long running trauma and grief. Uh, okay. Um, I just so, looked up Citra Akra. Okay, what do we have? What's our it is what's the, the verdict? It is uh the realm of evil. Um and it is uh let's see, uh Jewishlanguages.org. Um noun evil, the realm of evil or deno- demonic powers and emanations. Realm of evil, that's just my mother in law's um and it's also talking about or it's, it's yeah, Citra Akra, the other side. So I am, again, I'm just going to remind everyone, huge grain of salt. I yeah. am not an expert in any of this. No rabbits on this call. Yeah. There, there is, uh, you, you know, I have, uh, you know, read things that mention hell or, you know, whatever. You know, I, I suppose that's the closest, I, I, I guess, uh, Christian equivalent that we have to, for whatever this is. Um, the, the Jewish education is not as concerned uh, about the afterlife and whatnot uh, yeah. as Christianity, as far as I've been able to tell. Um, that is correct. Mm-hmm. If you're a but, child in Hebrew school and you ask what happens after you die, the person in Hebrew school will tell you, we bury you and then everyone brings food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Not incorrect. Um, but uh, I, I think I just think it's important to clarify uh again uh because unfortunately there's this perception uh that judaism is just christianity minus all the new testament stuff uh and that's not true at all and Mm -hmm. one of the important things to know is that for example there is an idea of satan in judaism but he is not the devil he is not like god's evil opposite satan is uh god's prosecuting angel. yeah he's the one who he uh, uh as a friend of mine put it uh has the naughty list. he's the one who keeps tabs on all your sins so he's not like the antagonist of judaism but you know he's still basically a cop so like you don't really want to <laughs> <laughs> it's not and it's not like a big fo- it's not like a big it's not like a big focus yeah you know? no yeah. no it's it's it, and that's that's really the, the main point that I'm trying to make. Like the, there are ideas about this kind of stuff in Judaism, but it's not central to our theology the way it is for Christianity. Yeah. And that's yeah. why you, and that's like, I feel like even it's just like, that's what, even if you're like, let's say you're like making movies for explicitly for a predominantly Jewish audience because you're the Israeli film industry or something, you're not going to be doing a ton of stuff like that because it just, it isn't in the text. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. it's just not. Well, it's. Know. I wanted to mention that the when I looked up Citra Akra, I got a bunch of stuff about the cliff off. If I'm saying that correctly. The the, the cliff cliff cliffoth or cliffoth. It's it's supposed to be the opposite of the Sephiroth, and it's like it's from it's more Kabbalah stuff. 
Um, yeah, and I've, I've, it. Emily just saw me shrug. Yeah, yeah, like that's the thing. And, you know, I've heard about it from uh, folks that study like the Key of Solomon and stuff like that, which is all, I mean, a lot of the, that stuff is uh in the books that we have about that kind of stuff like the 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 goetia and the um the cliff and the all that kind of like the demonology he's, a, he's shit, a guy like who's the, saying someone i used to know maybe <laughs> maybe but a lot of that is stuff that was um appropriated by spiritualists it like it, these these folks in um the Victorian times in the like, you know, 19th century that were trying to sound like put together their little Masonic lodges and clubs and shit and trying to sound cool. So like that, a lot of that stuff um, and a lot of the texts you'll find at like your, your magic shops and stuff like that are from white people being like, I, I found this thing. Isn't it cool? I'm going to make up some cool shit about it. So, you know, that's the, uh, yeah that's when you say Kabbalah's for the goyim you know that's the that's the kind of thing that um yeah. you're talking about i'm pretty sure that's what's hilarious about i i don't know if it's i i don't know if madonna still practices Kabbalah, but that that's what's so hilarious about like that trend of non-jewish celebrities being really into Kabbalah. it's like okay you're talking about all this stuff that the vast majority of jews don't know or don't care about yeah but like okay but like are you doing satyrs on passover like oh no they totally are now that got like that okay okay, okay. bad example because you're totally right right. that's that's uh uh, what's a more i'd like to think there's at least one industrialist who got really they're not like doing they're not like they're not like doing Shabbat or have Dala or like whatever yeah yeah I mean neither do I so if that has to be one of the making latkes I, I hope she was because lakas are delicious. And, you know, as much as we've been ripping on her, I like a prayer is a good song. She deserves a latka for it. Is it but, Madonna yeah. making latkas or is it someone in Madonna's kitchen making latkas? Right. Fair. And how do you practice Kabbalah? Like, how do you practice it? I, I don't know. Like, yeah. With decoder rings in the Torah and lighting stars of David on fire. I, I mean, there's like some yoga mat that they've repurposed again i'm telling you some hebrew letters on it instead of you know i'm telling you of yeah yeah there's got to be an industrialist who got real into kabbalah and then stopped at the soon as he found out he couldn't make golems as a cheap labor force Hmm. (laughs) made like 10 buildings and like a a, a sigil or whatever God's got 72 names and none of them are union. <laughs> Again, I am We're loving this. Yeah. Here at the part where uh, Hannah, yes, back to the movie where, yes. uh, again, I'm loving all the talk about just Judaism and Jewish mysticism in general. Mm. But to the movie, uh, later Hannah spies Benjamin having dinner uh, at the house of another woman who has really just been real fucking thirsty for Benjamin, this whole movie, just like flirting and flaunting her whole having kids. Yeah. Uh, God. I, so... I feel bad for her because like, I don't like her poor kids. I don't think she's like earlier in the movie. I don't think she's like trying to temptress him, but then no. it kind of gets like, look, 
she is a Jewish widow with five fucking kids in 1670s Lithuania. Girl, you do what you got to do. And she's also respectful. She's like, do you want to stay? And he's like, no, I'm good. And she's like, oh, she still has your heart, doesn't she? And she's like, I respect. Right. Look at all these kids who are alive. You know, I mean, the kids are great. And that one, the one girl, the wolf girl, love her too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. It's just like a good mom and her cute family. And she's not like this traditional depiction of like um, the other woman. Well, yeah, she's not running around this uh, small secluded Jewish community in like a tight red dress with the slit up the side. You know, I mean, mean, like, hey, I think she needs to be kind and likable for the movies to work emotionally, because what happens next is Hannah sees um, sees Benjamin having dinner with her, uh, gets real angry. And that anger is psychically transmitted to the golem who is like, okay, I'm going to kill a lady. Uh, and again, and that's the moment where you go like, oh, this golem really is getting out of control. It is attacking people. It should not be attacking. That's not going to end well. And if we just see her as, oh, that she just stole her, the main character's husband and she's just like the seductress and she's just the unlikable seductress, then the movie doesn't sell that emotional turn of you should be worrying about the golem. If if we're feeling any catharsis from this lady dying, the movie <laughs> wouldn't have been doing doesn't its work. job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, because yeah, because unfortunately, it is the golem kills her, and that it is unfortunately like we do not get much of a uh, uh, a discretion cut. It is. It looks. It is uh, again one of the more graphic depictions of violence against women in this movie so uh trigger warning for that particular uh death scene yeah Mm -hmm. um and Um, i think it's i think it's kind of incredible how they have the golem react to hannah um sort of in her subconscious like she has her she has these subconscious thoughts and feelings i mean maybe not subconscious maybe maybe just her um her whims but not her intent you know like she's pissed off and jealous but she's but probably she not like yeah yeah she's not so like fuck does, her and so then that comes in she, later yeah she doesn't even say in passing i hope she dies she like literally yeah. doesn't it's just so, any feeling she has it's channeled by the golem even if it's not an intent it's not yeah. super it's not like super well so it's not like it's an active theme of this movie but something that's always seemed like a ripe ground for horror is the idea of intrusive thoughts made real. Yeah. Something would be acting on the thoughts you can't control. Yes. I think that that's a really effective uh, bit with that golem. But at the same time, one of the most chilling moments of the movie is you you have this moment where Hannah is, I mean, there isn't really any dialogue even exchange as I recall. No, it's the, it's a really good bit of acting. I think I know exactly yeah. what you're referring to. Yeah. She kind of, she looks at her little golem baby and is just kind of having this, at first, horrifying realization of what this entity that she's created has done. And we see this moment where her express, express, 
expression, you know why I can't talk, shifts from horror to this like evil, yeah, gr- like cruel grin. She is jazzed. Yeah, it, 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 like it's, her little murder child that her murder child did a murder. Yeah, yeah, she's like, oh, this is the power that I'm wielding. Okay. Yeah, and it's actually, yeah. I think, in, in a movie that, uh, in my opinion, uh, might have benefited from a little more subtlety. It's <laughs> one of the scariest moments in the movie, I think, where she, you see her embracing this monstrous side of her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so pretty much the village see is that uh, this woman has been uh, killed, and they think it was the Gentiles which inspires Benjamin to uh, get real mad and fight back. Uh, he puts together a group of people, including uh, Rebecca's husband, who has managed to get a hold of a gun with one bullet. Um, you know, if they... the gun doesn't, it's not that he has one bullet, it's that it doesn't reload because it's not a revolver. Like, it's oh, not right, a... right, right. Yeah, it's a, um... actually, I, 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 it's just 1870s, talk... 1670s, and guns aren't very good. Yeah, I do want to talk about the the, the scene where where they're kind of like getting ready to you know fuck up the anti semites though because you know you uh, we 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 mentioned before when in the scene when the anti semites uh, initially attack them at the wedding that nobody really knows how to react that they they kind of go from thoughts and prayers to at least in Hannah's case golem. Yeah, what we see in the scene where where they're, they're uh, about to approach these guys for a fight is that this is a group of otherwise very peaceful, perhaps even peaceful to a fault, yeah. men. Yeah, who don't know how to fight, aren't used to fighting, have no conception of how this is going to go down and they, it's almost comical how out of place they look trying to seem all tough and ready for a fight with uh, in front of the, the, the this group of men uh the uh, the goyim who clearly have much i mean, it's it's not made clear what their history is really but these are guys who clearly have killed before and are very prepared mm-hmm. to kill again yeah, yeah, they have no problem hate crime. That's why they like hang out in the forest to lynch women. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Though I will say, for someone who has presumably never even held a gun in his life up until this fight for his life, uh, Benjamin scores one fucking hell of a headshot. Yeah, yeah. Like, just fucking sharpshooter. Good. Um, but no. So in the fighting, uh, yes, Benjamin kills one of the Gentiles. Uh, Rebecca's husband is killed by Vladimir and to save Benjamin uh, Hannah really very publicly and in front of the village unleashes the golem uh, with hold on to head explodey powers and proves and proves to be bulletproof uh, yeah, Vladimir and- unloads several several shots into him from his, uh, his small firearm uh, and he is unbothered supremely unbothered. yeah all we see is hannah wince like someone threw a rock at her yeah and that's it yeah, yeah. um well it, and, it is important that it establishes there's this kind of empath relationship yeah it's it's further, yeah it's further establishing that which will become kind of important later on but also not really <laughs> um <laughs> uh and so vladimir she lets vladimir take uh his daughter away his daughter who is seemingly recovered um 
I'm honestly not clear if how that was supposed to be because that whole her recovering does not last. Um, yeah, uh, well, I don't know if that's supposed to be something in the plot the that perhaps, explains maybe her recovery able... and then I think, the recovery I think failing that... or if that's just, you know, how diseases work sometimes. I think that Perla was able to help treat her um, symptoms, but she couldn't make the disease go. Yeah. Well, I mean, also they probably, I mean, this is, this is a 17th century understanding of, of disease. You know, we were, yeah. we were treating everybody with cocaine up until 1921. So like, cool. But um, they, you know, uh, Pearl, I'm sure was, was giving some sort of proper treatment. And if, you know, the, the daughter was with her for several more months. But, you know, the, Vladimir's like given her an ultimatum. Like if she doesn't walk out of this house tomorrow, I'm going to kill everybody. So Pearl is like, I'm doing my best, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that that this has gone on is probably cause, also caused the daughter to, to have some sort of a, adrenaline reaction. So she's like, oh shit, I need to get up. And then, you know, this is convenient for Vladimir because he's like, okay, well, she's walking. She must be better. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, also all my guys have been exploded. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's sort of the, the, the process there. Um, yeah, lots of ex exploded guys. Um, although, you know. so fucking exploded. Yeah, but one exploded. of our one of our villagers has also you know he's he also got shot by vladimir so you know the the uh the body count rises um you know and but after the explodey happens and vladimir leaves everybody is pretty stoked about this golem except for perla well yeah perla yes. knows what's up <laughs> yeah, the wise woman who is wise yeah. So one thing I actually really appreciate about this is that it doesn't waste time getting to the part where it's telling you the audience this is a cautionary tale. Yeah. Um, I think to this day, again, be because people you know will make comparisons to things like Superman, uh, people tend to think of the more heroic side of the golem but i really the thing that really uh, uh, as, as a child when i first discovered this lore really spoke to me was the fact that it's very often a story of well how far do you go to protect yourself or your people before you've gone too far yeah and this movie really benefits from not making that subtext yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. agreed but yeah, so, uh, well, everyone in the village is rightfully kind of freaked the fuck out by the magic head explodey boy. Uh, and just everyone's just kind of camped around Hannah's house going, uh, waiting for Benjamin to do something, which is apparently have dinner and have sex is what Benjamin decides to do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long. The rest of the village is just hanging outside the house. <laughs> right? Like, they're all... There's more head explosions going to happen, I guess. It's like Children of the Corn outside, and everybody's, like, holding up their lanterns and standing there. And then, um, you know, but meanwhile, inside... I mean, it's a very interesting, surreal scene, because inside, oh, yeah. uh, Hannah's, been, like, making food, and she's she uh, introduces... Um, the golem to Benjamin and, you know, they have this sort of uh, ideal family scene. 
Um, and we this also is also the yeah, the golem takes a knife, which at first I was confused. I'm like, what do you need a knife, golem? We just saw you rip out a man's heart. Like you're like you're fine. You don't need that. But then the golem stabs himself in the leg, which I guess just to make Hannah feel pain. And aside from further yeah. establishing the link between that, I I didn't I. That's the moment in the movie that I really yeah. didn't know what to make of. Yeah, I re- I really struggle with that part too because like there are a couple of ways you, you can interpret it. Yeah, you know, I mean the, the the first thing you have to think is he mad at her for some reason. Like, is there maybe like some kind of Oedipal thing going on because she's suddenly like much happier with her husband? And by the way, this might be a good because this is such an awkward scene to the point of kind of being comedic. This is a good time for me to mention, I thought the actor who played Benjamin looked a lot like Jermaine Clement of Flight of the Concords. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't really have anywhere to go with that other than the fact that I saw it and couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, Those days it was very difficult for a 16-year-old. Um, so you went so, there, no, and I think, I think he does. I think he stabs. I think he stabs her because she has attempted to exert any control over him, and he wants to show her that she doesn't actually that he controls her. Yeah, and I also feel like it's some, except, some of her guilt. I mean, there's a she has been controlling him throughout the movie. Yeah, but I like, think it's it, like the the subconscious it, control there. I, I think and that was the thing. Like I could tell. Fair. And that's the end because that was the one I thought there. So, like, if that was if the golem was trying to establish and was going to turn against Hannah, but that never seems to happen in the film. Yeah, it felt to me like it was like uh, there's a moment where Hannah is like putting putting her husband first before the golem. Yeah, um, you know, she is catering to him uh, primarily and to the golem secondary, and uh, the golem is not having it. Yeah. That, I think that's a pretty clear. I mean, I think that's that's. Um, he's he's happy to have him there as a father slash musician. Um, <laughs> other than that, he is uh, of little interest. Yeah, there was something very creepy about the way it was like he likes music, like play for him. It's like uh, okay. I I did really like the moment though, where, where Benjamin is really trying for 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 this fleeting moment to be like, you know, I'm gonna talk to this little golem boy like he's my son and as he's playing the violin he's explaining like this is the music of our people it's our it's our pain and 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 our happiness and it's a really nice paternal moment yeah and for a moment you almost forget that this boy is a monster yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Um, it's really good yeah that's that all of that is really fantastic yeah i did love that moment of benjamin just playing and like explaining like what the music means to him like i did find that to be a very beautiful senior right uh and then we have uh hannah and uh benjamin have much better sex than they had at the beginning of the movie good yeah, for them now she tops yeah <laughs> she made a golem uh, and now she's like and i'm not and using my elixir anymore perla i guess was like oh good i waited for them to start fucking that's the perfect distraction Everybody and she goes up and tries... told me they were fucking so I can go in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they're not so being subtle about it. Right. 
I mean, again, is everyone still outside? I guess now they're like, well, we were waiting outside for one reason, but we're staying for another. <laughs> um, so she, Perla goes and tries to destroy the golem herself. Uh, spoilers, she fucked around and proceeds to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, we find out what exactly happened to Perla when Benjamin starts noticing blood coming through the floor, which always a good sign when your house is bleeding. Yeah. Uh, and goes up to find. And this is how you really know. I think that there is nothing of their debt to see son Jacob as no matter how much they might wish. Like there's just the monster is uh, the trunk where they kept all of Jacob's things has been emptied out and the golem has just put Perla's corpse there. Yeah. Like, what once held all of their memories of their son is now just death and violence. Listen, he may be a monster, but I cannot get my five and 10 year olds to clean up their mess that way. So, I mean, there's, there's something to this kid. <laughs> like, you know, he, he may be a murderer, but at least he puts his toys away. I mean, so, a lot of monsters are very efficient. Leopards drag their prey up trees. They're yeah. not monstrous, though. They're majestic creatures and they should be cherished. Um, yeah, so Benjamin is like, look, healer lady's dead. You're seeing this shit, right? And Hannah's like, I refuse to see this shit. Yeah. He is, and, he is little boy. How could he murder? Yeah, she's got her her mama blinders up. Um, and, you know, her like she tried to drown that kid and it didn't work. So, you know, she knows that she can't kill the kid and she's she's now attached and it's very complicated. And I appreciate that because that situation yeah. is complicated. Um, but now Vladimir, after taking his daughter home, um, now that she's stopped getting treatment from a, a person with any sort of knowledge of anything, um, <laughs> The uh, the, she, the daughter has died and now he has decided that he is just going to go full burn and like burn the village scorched yep. earth. Um, a second here. Does any was anybody else taken aback by how nice Vladimir's house is? Right? Yes. Because Vladimir yes. for most of the movie is in full on barbarian mode. Yeah. But, well, like, he, he's got he a nice has, little like Tudor home. interior decorator. I think, well, yeah, I think he's, he's definitely like, he's got more money because only a motherfucker like that can afford that outfit. Like that, that plague mask outfit, that, that is a, that is a face piece with glass in it. Like people mm. pay big for that. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's like, uh, I, I forget who, who said it about the punk movement. Uh, you know, pe- people spending two hours to look like they just got out of bed. Uh, I, I feel like, I don't know, the, the, the barbarian look is very uh, put upon. I would not be surprised if we can make this whole backstory of Vladimir's. This is like barbarian cosplay wannabe who's never actually been to war and managed to get out of like a like, you know, fighting for any liege lord. But boy, is he always down for a hate crime against a completely defenseless group of pacifists. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I mean, he's he's definitely one of those YouTubers that's like making swords and then like talking about their, you know. Am I saying that gods. Vladimir is the Steven Crowder of barbarians? <laughs> yes. I mean, I just I was going to say, I think he's running a 1600s hedge fund, but, you know, it's yeah, it's yeah. But yeah. So also doing that is Benjamin is like, OK, I'm going to d- destroy this thing. It's killing everybody. Because I think by now he's also pieced together. He doesn't mm. quite do that. He says, 
dad, the golem's bad, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and his dad's like, no shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so well, I remember Hannah at one point is like, the golem is killing innocents. And they're like, uh huh. Yeah, I fucking told you so. Yeah. It's a golem. It's what golems do. Yeah. It's the whole point of the story. <laughs> Uh, so Benjamin assembles a minion to destroy the golem, uh, where they lure it. Should we the tell the should we tell the gentiles what a minion is? Yes, yeah, we please. should probably do yes. that. Please. Um, I I, 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 I don't know how equipped I am to explain this, but the, all you need to know really is that uh, it's a group of ten Jews who band together to. Uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of like uh, if you saw the Eternals uh, this past weekend uh, when they formed the Unimind. Yeah, it, it, okay. They channel it, their prayers a together. A is a Unimind. That's interesting. No, it, yeah, it channel, has to be... My understanding is that they essentially, by having them all do the same prayer at the same time in this way, they're essentially channeling 10 people's worth of prayer to create a mega prayer. Yes, like it, needs, it needs to be 10 people. That that's... Yes. The, the, the thing that's very consistent, you cannot have any number other than 10 to form a minion. They need to be loyal to apparently. Yeah. Well, no, they need to have, they need to have been, I mean, in the old days, they had to have been bar mitzvah, so they had to be over 13 and have to have a bar mitzvah. Now it can be anybody who's over 13 and had a bar, bar mitzvah, or b'nai mitzvah of any sort. And then you need um, six good-hearted Saiyans in order to achieve Super Saiyan God level, so you can. I didn't realize that about destruction. The I see that. And then, and then they do the fusion dance, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that was the hardest part of my bar mitzvah prep. Obviously, uh, uh, <laughs> doing the fusion dance with the rabbi. Uh, <laughs> never get. The hardest part of my bar mitzvah prep was figuring out how the fuck to connect my Torah portion to my real life. Because my Torah portion was just the very detailed step-by-step instructions on how you're supposed to treat leprosy. I'm like, I know nothing. I mean... Like, like there's nothing... No, but there's nothing metaphorical. There's nothing symbolic. It is. It is literally just like here is the like here is the literal things you should do to treat this disease. So that right. So then the spin is you say this is an example of how important it is to take care of one another, like physical health, and that this is part of our responsibility as a community. And that the Torah. But it was like, all weird. It cared it enough to weird. give you. Di- but they, it cared enough to like give you direct medical advice that Where was like scientific to the time <laughs> it was done. Yeah. So. No, I, I'm just saying, I can always spin these things, but um, yeah, no, that's, that, that's really, that's really adorable. So yeah, they, uh, Benjamin and the minion lure the golem into the synagogue uh, using the tempting powers of music. Uh, is Benjamin a little like a siren or a Pied Piper? Sure, mm-hmm. let's go down that road, but not actually. Um, I mean, he's doing it out and, of necessity. Yeah. So they start, uh, I guess it's some sort of death curse kind of thing because we get, uh, they say, and the golem does seem to be unable to kind of fight back during this. And we do see it start to actively fall apart and start and like it start to go back to being dirt. Uh, it's but then, they... yeah, it's sad. Yeah. This also has some real then, like mediocre vampire movie San- stuff going Sandman. on where they're yeah. like, Here's how I was you getting kill real Sandman and Spider-Man. Three other different vibes. ways to kill it. 
Because yeah. in the beginning, they're like, um, you have to take the paper out of its mouth. Like, that's the only way to kill it. And then they're like, well, what if we prayed at it real hard? And then later they're like, well, what if you smudge the stuff on its head? Like, maybe well, these he, things will kill it. It's like, just take your hands, pull the paper out of his mouth. Like, that's, that's what you said to do earlier. I don't think it would have well, worked like that. Because... Yeah, apparently you have to kiss it out of its mouth, which... You, you, I think that goal <laughs> no, knows. That, that was weird. You don't have to. That was her way. That was her means of getting it out because it's because the the scroll yeah. is in the mouth, which is why yeah. it which is why it can't speak. Well, in the in the beginning of the movie, the when the the rabbi tried to get the scroll out of the mouth of the other golem, he just got exploded. So I think we're we're we have established that it's not as simple as just taking the scroll out of the mouth because the golem is like, I know what gives me life. I got this thing in my mouth. Okay, I, how wild would it have been though if this movie just began with an old rabbi just making out of a big clay statue? I'd I mean, be really the, into it. The clay statue <laughs> thing, yeah. The, the later the the kid thing, no. Yeah, no, not the, not so much with the kid. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, if there are two yeah. of you chanting at it already, maybe one of you can spare a hand to grab the paper out of its mouth. It while does it's seem to apart. be working though. Just praying at it does seem to work until Vladimir just straight up doing a pogrom uh, distracts them at which point the golem goes full on murder busy and we get what's a pretty spectacular horror movie kill of he spears horrors to death with the rabbi's own shofar which then has just like blood spurting out of the other hands like a fountain yeah it's pretty great I mean, can I say like rough. it's real tension because we know that they're taking apart the golem right as they need him because there's about to be a pogrom. Yeah, and so we have yeah. the tension where we're like, well, we don't want you to like. On the one hand, we want you to get rid of the golem because it like killed this poor woman who did not deserve to die. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's about to be a pogrom, and so it really like makes you feel the stakes of the situation. And like why it is so dire. And so I'm still sitting there being like, if you guys fucking destroy this golem before it kills these fucking bigots, I will be so mad at you. Like, and then <sighs> thankfully, you know, he gets to rip people's heads off. And then it, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's because got this real tension where it, like she has figured out what's going on and she is like running from the house to the place, falling apart herself, like not physically, but like feeling the golem's pain. While she is also seeing these guys right into town. And uh, I mean, she gets like, she gets fucking clocked by Vladimir coming in with the uh, uh, some kind of club. Um, it was a torch. It was a torch, yeah. Yeah, I think the scene where uh, they're, where they're, when they're praying at the golem and they're damaging the golem and Hannah's running and trying to get there, but she's feeling the pain. I feel like this would have hit harder, except we watched Suspiria two weeks ago, and compared mm-hmm. to the, and the like, the body contortions that that movie was doing was making me watch this and be like, "Eh, she's fine. All her limbs are still in the right direction." Oh God. Yeah, that that scene is, um, is really tense, and that that is the point where it feels most like a cautionary tale of like you know. Uh, uh, this is the moment that they needed the thing, and now the thing is gone. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, it it I does mean, proceed to uh, yeah, spear the the rabbi and escape, and then it is unclear who does the lion's share of the killing here. But by the time Hannah like 
wakes up, everybody's dead. I do love how it's just a montage of just heart rips and head explosions. Yeah, the like, goal of this. Like, we get, like, we get the great shot of Vladimir having his heart ripped out and stuff like that. And again, Vladimir, I do give credit to, you know, the writing and the actor. Uh, Vladimir was a pretty great vil- a villain that I love to hate. I hated the shit out of him and it mm. was real satisfying seeing him die. Like just a good yeah. old classic, like, boy, is this a bad guy? I really don't like. Yeah. Uh, but in like the way you're not supposed to like bad guys in movies and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So after, so now it seems to me, now I want to make sure I'm understanding this right. It seemed that the golem at that point was just attacking anybody. Yeah, anyone who wasn't Gentile. Yeah, it's a little unclear how many of the Jewish people of the settlement are killed by the outsiders and how many are killed by the golem, uh, if any. But he definitely, definitely makes short work of the Lithuanians. It has to be that the golem has some sort of sauce out for Benjamin, or at the very least, psychically feels Anna's love or sense of protectiveness over him. Because otherwise, Mm -hmm. there is no earthly reason or way that Benjamin possibly could have survived. Yeah. Yeah. He's locked in fight earlier, and he's just not worried about him. He is locked in that synagogue with the goal, and we see rip apart everyone else in there. Yeah. It, It is really interesting to me that the golem in this movie has no particular loyalty to the jewish yeah loyalty is strictly to one jewish woman who is basically his mom and that that is such a departure from the traditional depiction of the golem where it's this symbol of you know the 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 jewish people who i don't know if you guys know anything about history throughout history we i just gotta say Nothing sounds scarier to me than the idea of a murder monster completely intrinsically tied to one Jewish mother. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, oh, you were saying, Greg? Yeah, Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, that that is is an excellent uh, little little digression. But um, but no, it's such a fascinating thing because I mean, one of the things that, as much as I I appreciate the cautionary tale side of the golem, you know, the the Jewish people for thousands upon thousands of years, uh, you know, we've just experienced genocide after genocide. And uh, you, know, you know the power of the golem as a symbol is is this idea of having a protector. And this movie is a really interesting um, kind of dark inversion of that, where you have it like no, there's nothing really ideological for this golem. It's just his creator and not much else. Yes. <laughs> but to do... connect your point to bees, I think like. The issue here, right, is you can say, well, the danger is if you have it tied to one person and one individual rather than to a whole community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we saw how this community treated her, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, that's, I think, the, the interesting thing to me is that, like, she is put on the outside by this community, and they don't really change that when they realize that she's created a golem. Nobody's mm-hmm. like... Hey, she's our savior, Hannah. We love her now. They stand up. They stand outside and go, "Oh, what the fuck? Uh, I hope I hope that thing doesn't kill us all." Um, 
you know, and, and I think that's, that's part of, you know, a continued part of how they've been treating her throughout, which mm-hmm. I think is sort of ultimately the downfall of certainly the rabbi, but like the, a lot of the rest of the community in this is like, they, they don't show any kind of, uh, you know, loyalty or love for her. And yeah. the, the thing is, is very tied to her. Um, and, you know, it, it ends up, uh, you know, getting uh, arguably possibly a lot of the community as well. I do appreciate this movie inviting a ambiguity that I think the story kind of and history kind of calls for, even if it is complicated and doesn't lend itself to kind of easy fables. And you get this with how Horowitz is very much not glorified or doesn't or isn't vindicated. Uh, mm. Just the sense of the moral isn't should we defend ourselves or not it's how far should we go to in defending ourselves before we start destroying ourselves like and that's and that doesn't lend itself to and and that's a doesn't lend itself to any easy answers yeah um, but i appreciate yeah, really this movie yeah kind of even if again maybe it is a little complicated by the fact that it is tied to this one individual instead of a community where it'd be communal feelings and how uh overzealous need to protect oneself can poison a community from the inside um you know i do appreciate that at least it's not going in it's not ambi it's not um shying away from the ambiguity like i'm glad but, but, but you're right also too though like she's an outsider from the community so it's like well yeah you treat her like shit and then she's not going to be sharing yeah but the same yeah. time i'm thinking like any individual like i like yeah. i think the golem would have been like again if it had been under Horowitz's control it would have been just as bad i think just in right. a different way yeah. mm-hmm. i think it's that- like the way of, the whims of any one individual versus the spirit of a community yeah, well, I think there's that... so much about how we wield power. Yeah, and I, 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 I mean, yeah, it, it's it's the hokiest English class thing that we all learn, but that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I, 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 I as much as you, you might think that you can wield it responsibly because you've been marginalized within this marginalized community um you're still liable for all the other humans i mean we just talked about um again we did suspiria a few weeks ago which is a movie in large part about how a group of marginalized people use their own marginalization as a shield to become predators themselves yeah yeah but i think that there's an element to this situation in in this movie that reflects the idea that a community is only as good as how they treat their the like i guess it's that the, the most the group outsider is, yeah the most you know how they treat outsiders or they how they treat the 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 i guess lowest member of the community or whatever you yeah, know I mean, what i mean ultimately the, the, the expectations and the the gendered treatment you know towards hannah that ultimately kind of seals everyone's fate here and that you know she is uh not allowed to express her sorrow the way she wants to she is it's put on her in fact to produce another child like that's what's expected of her and that is ultimately what she does yeah to me overall yeah very good overall like jeremy i think benjamin's a pretty good character but the one moment where 
he becomes very unlikable is when he's having the argument after he discovers that, um, you know, Hannah has been intentionally not getting pregnant throughout seven years. And he's, you know, and he's rightfully angry that she has been like lying to him that, you know, family planning is an important thing to have open and honest communication. And yeah. they've yeah. just been lying like for seven years. But and that anger is very understandable. But then he crosses such a line when he says, like, I'm I, like, God gave you a purpose. You're like a life bringer. And it was just like, ah, yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I think that there's also such a real interesting um, misunderstanding between the two of them of, of how the two of them are uh, processing grief. Because mm. I, I we, we, you know, we, we obviously see it, uh, h- how Hannah processes it, which is that she just, she never wants to feel that kind of pain again. And so she never wants to have a child again. Uh, yeah. And Benjamin, his way of dealing with grief is much more traditional. He frequently visits uh, the, the, their, their boy's grave. Uh, and he, he, he tells Hannah in that, that scene, that argument, you never left so much as a rock on his headstone. Now, for anyone who doesn't know uh, non-Jews, um, Jews, uh, traditionally, we don't leave uh, flowers or anything like that uh, on the graves of our loved ones because flowers decay. Uh, we leave rocks because rocks pretty much will be here long after any of us or uh, any of our great, 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 great grandchildren. Yeah. And, you know, we, we he, I, you know, I, 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 I had been told it was because flowers are happy and death is not happy because you're not like being reborn in the oh. light of Christ. Like people are dead and you're sad and that's why you don't put flowers. But I like, <laughs> but I think the fact that it's a rock as like, I think that symbolism of, you know, I mean, there's multiple reasons people are going to well, 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 I, 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 I mean, that, that, that's interesting. Uh, I, I could, yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's like a, what the clear answer is again but um you know we don't have hannah being like well i didn't go to his grave because i'm so distraught even seven years later that i can't handle that but we we kind of don't need to i i think Mm -hmm. those differences are are rather subtle in a movie that doesn't have a ton of subtlety but it's really effective yeah I, i think it's interesting that this relationship uh, has Hannah largely playing the part that's often reserved for male characters of like not being able to fully express their grief and not being able to like communicate what it is that they're feeling um, so that their you know their partner understands it. Um, Overall, I really like Hannah as a character. I I think she's a very good uh, horror protagonist. Yeah, I want to kind of. She's also far and away like on an acting level, just her and the kid are well above. Yeah, yeah. Hard for this movie. Well, and on that point, I want kind of want to dovetail into our talking points about the the feminism in the movie because you have Hannah and you have her depiction and how you know the subtleties therein, the sexism that she faces. Um, and I also wanted to mention how Perla. Well, uh, we do just have, real quick. I do just the ending right. of the movie, which is uh, after everyone's dead. Oh yes, uh, Hannah. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? maybe we stop with the whole golem thing uh fine really gets to say the goodbye to her son that she never got to actually say goodbye to Mm -hmm. and then kisses the scroll out of his mouth for some reason 
And there are no ends. I've got to say, the, the, the kissing when we say it out loud is weird. But in that moment, uh, and I do have some issues with, with, with the execution of that finale, but in that moment, it is, to me, I, I mostly just saw it as like a maternal kind of Yeah, kiss. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think I, that, the, you know, in the 1600s, like, kissing on the lips between family members was much more common thing than he had something in his mouth that she then got into her mouth that's too much that contact that was the point though. that involves I mean, too that involves too much happening in the kiss for me to feel comfortable i mean the, it's the, transferred from it's one mouth to another to i don't like it it's not comfortable it's I think that the 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 way that the scene, I mean, like the, the, you can definitely interpret the way that that scene is shown to be a little too intimate. But you know, I think it it, it came across for me, um, and uh, um, you know, like I don't know how I don't think it was that deep in there, um, for sure. But I think it also makes sense that it's also very symbolic. Yes. Uh, but no, it is. And then, uh, and then the movie ends with, you know, honestly, the scene of Hannah saying goodbye, I found very beautiful. And despite all the devastation and all the brand new trauma to work through, it does kind of feel like there's like some kind of healing has happened and then all the tap the for them and just them, but not so well, much healing for anybody else but, uh, for them. Wolf girl found the wolf girl. Yeah, she found the the scroll, and she's now yes. like you know that that it, will that cycle mm-hmm. continue? Yeah. Question mark. Yes, um, yes, it will. In the yeah, sequel. yeah. I, I thought that was really yeah powerful. Um, and so yeah. Now talking and about the the talking points now. You know, in, now her, in the talking points. Yeah. So we have that. We have the we have the girl following in the footsteps. Maybe we have Hannah. Um, and I also, you know, talking about Hannah being the proactive, uh, I mean, she was, she's a bit of an outcast, but she's also very proactive and very outspoken in terms of like, you know, protecting her community. Um, Perla does the most, honestly, to get rid of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. She, she like, whereas the rabbi says thoughts and prayers, she's like, I actually have knowledge that is applicable and I will use it, putting my, <laughs> my own person at risk, um, and exposing myself like, to the plague. Perla, I found like there'd be these such like the source of just moral strength and compassion that yeah. she, um, you know, that she has the wherewithal to know the risks of the golem, to not give into any kind of temptations in regards to it, but also even this, that she tries to find humanity in and connect with Vladimir. Yeah. yeah. She tried to connect on that human level and find sympathy with even like the people attacking her. Like it's, yeah. I don't know. I just think she's just a very just strong character, like her compassion. She's very strong from her compassion. Yeah. I, I'm really fascinated by the way that this movie, b- b- between Hannah and Perla, this movie does a lot to give age to women who are in a time and place where 
their ability to have agency over anything was so incredibly limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, we sure. see it expressed in two very different ways between them, but but I think it's very well done. Yeah, and and the way that Perla is sort of she's like Perla seems to have the the knowledge to be able to keep this community together, but she's not the leader because that's the rabbi. So um, I think that there's a lot. I think you know in terms of feminism, you know, there's a lot. I think this movie can be even more about feminism than it is about um racism in certain Mm ways oh yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah i feel feel like the racism is very much like the setting of i mean racism isn't the word though i mean it's specifically anti-semitism it's anti-semitism yes thank you yeah operates in its own axis really yeah i mean we're certainly talking about prejudice and prejudice yeah but, but, but between different uh, ethnic groups. Um, so I, 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 there's still a conversation to be had, but yeah, I mean, everyone in this movie is white. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't, that's not the, that doesn't matter. Like, that's yeah, not, I mean. No, no, no that, but, 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 but that's <laughs> my point. We're, we're talking about, we're, 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 we're still talking about prejudice. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. yeah. Specifically anti-Semitism, not, not racism, but anti-Semitism. Yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Which um, is, yeah, it just confers and, manifest differently yeah which is very important to, to know because it's yeah. it's a very important context for this film yeah so um, i mean i think i think i'm with you emily and i think everybody else was as far as this being very feminist film um the the question of of race and social justice and this is interesting because you know it is specifically about anti-semitism almost as a, a setting there's not like a debate about whether that exists or whether it's bad it's it's clearly bad like it's you know uh the setting against which the story of the golem is told um Mm -hmm. i i think it's interesting and i mean this is uh just me just me uh watching the movie and thinking the way in which um the lithuanians in this are uh show up and are portrayed in the way that uh movies created by um white european filmmakers often portray uh say roma or jewish people or people of different you know different colors or faces like they show up as sort of this barbarian horde and just start killing people um and it's like it's not as if this isn't a real thing that happened but like i think we as a well as america but generally as you know the culture of film centered in you know europe and america have a tendency to try and uh give more depth to like white characters even when they're racist even when they're anti-semitic than uh you know we often do to uh you know the the bad guys of different races that show up and things and to see this this group of characters whose entire um, thing is like, yeah, this one guy cares about his daughter, but they're really just here to kill some people. Like they're here to yeah. be rampaging barbarians. Um, like none of the other white guys, as far as I can, or Lithuanian guys, as far as I can tell, have names. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. Vladimir who has the most sinister uh, possible name. Like <laughs> it's it's not just that Vlad the Impaler, like it's, you know, historically people named Vladimir in fiction are not nice people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, no, I think it's a really good, uh, good point that like, we don't get this inversion often enough, like that we don't have to be like, well, he really just cares about his daughter. It's like, no, he does. It's not really what it's about. Like, it just lets it be like, no, this is just fucking evil. And we're not going to try to say, oh, it's just a miscommunication about these two different communities. They don't need to teach the other side of the Holocaust, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, it's refreshing. There, there's there's no both that. sides bullshit to this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. I really like that about yeah. it. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's that that scene of uh, a guy showing up in the plague mask on the like edge of the lake is chilling. Like yeah, like they don't say anything yeah. about it. They don't say anything in that scene. They're just like they leave and later they're like maybe getting too close to the, the white I mean, all, the, all, all they needed to say yeah. was, was before we, we we got that scene was when hannah's sister said we're too close to where the gentiles and mm-hmm. that that's that's a part where like you know i i i was re-watching it recently with uh, a friend of mine who's also Jewish, and you know i was about to make a snarky joke about like yeah i've been but then i was like oh wait no like this that's actually a really stark warning yeah and I, I i that scene uh is i think in a movie that in my opinion could have afforded to be scarier in certain parts they, they i think the filmmakers really knew to lean into what the this audience already knows about how anti-semit manifests that there, there's no situation where it's like oh they did something to piss off the uh the gentiles now they're in for it. it's like no they exist. That's the only yeah. uh, thing they did to uh, th- these people, and now they're going to suffer for existing mm-hmm. as. Yeah, they're they're angry about something completely unrelated, and the Jewish people are there. Yep. <laughs> like, um, I kind of wished that this movie did not end with absolutely everything in flames. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Um, I, I, the, the complete destruction of the community while historically accurate, you know, I felt like, I mean, this is, we see this time and time again. Um, and, you know, I was, it is tragic and it is appropriately tragic. Um, well, but I, I, I kind of wish I, that like, there was a little bit more survival, <laughs> of, yeah, you know, yeah. was it? Well, well I, I struggle with the finale because, you know, it's so over the top. And, and the gore, especially that 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 shofar stabbing scene, is so. Yeah. I it's almost Evil Dead two levels of comical gore, and this was oh scene definitely that, something that would have been an Evil Dead for oh, sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I I I, I mean, it, it's this thing that like you, you say it out loud, and even in practice, it, it's almost comical, and then you have this ending that's supposed to be just like utter heartbreak tragic and i hate to say it but in that moment it really just doesn't feel totally earned to be, 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 because it's so completely over the top and with yeah. some more subtlety it could have been a lot more powerful and that's my overall problem with the, this movie and again to, to be clear i like it but what holds me back from loving it is it comes so close really hitting that sweet spot of you know horror for lack of a better word fun with something really to say and that there are too many moments where it just doesn't match up the way it needs yeah it, it kind of reminds me of I, I don't remember i think ben watched bad hair with us 
um mm -hmm. and bad hair was a yeah. was a horror movie with something to say but the horror movie and the something it had to say never quite lined up and mm -hmm. interlocked in, in a way that made sense um it was like there was this full-on evil dead you know sam raimi level crazy horror movie over here and then over here there was like a story about you know a serious story about expectations of, of black women and appearance and you know show business and like they they couldn't yeah. commit to one or the other in a way that made sense they couldn't make the movie about about all those themes match with the movie about evil mind control hair yeah and it's it's, it's really frustrating because you could tell they come so close in certain um but but even even the execution of the kind of visceral horror scenes for me i i think don't don't quite make the mark like and, and here we're, we're, you know, we could even be talking about something much more elementary, like camera work and, and pacing. But again, it, 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 it's a, such a, I, I, it, it's one of those things where like, I weirdly feel like I'd almost like this movie more if it was a little bit worse, but so close huh. to being great that that frustration really uh, um, just feels like kind of tragic. I th yeah, I think the problem I, I think to me is that this could, it, it's like this close to being like an A23 or A24 movie, like having that real like the witch feel where it's like heavy and it's, you know, taking this historical context and making it into something yeah, it feels like that sense of dread that hangs over that whole movie. Um, like there's potential there and yeah. it doesn't quite hit it because it does also like it is literally a monster. Um, you know, it is about, uh, you know, a little kid made of clay who can blow up people's heads from a distance. Like, you know, I, I think even if the golem's violence was a bit less bloody and a bit more visceral then like yeah. mm. it would hit harder you know because like the point at which like that boy looks at a dude and his head explodes is very different than like the you know the point later on where like he's ripping people's hearts out of their chests like that uh feels much more on brand for like golem powers you know yeah <laughs> and that that feels like something that it like it doesn't make any sense that this get this kid blows up one guy's head from a distance and then just lets vladimir shoot him a half dozen times before like like as he walks toward him to kill him like he doesn't need to walk toward him to kill him he it's a power move he can blow people's minds up right it's yeah a, it's a power move but that's that's Does what changes it moves? from well hannah I mean, cares about power moves but <laughs> But I mean, I think, I think that's, that's the, the, the cheesiness that I think that's the problem is we don't get like how much like if Hannah had more control, if it was more just Hannah's emotions caused this thing to uh, be the you know murderous thing that it is. I mean, I'll never uh, begrudge a monster sense. for being a little dramatic. I mean, hmm. Michael yeah. Myers fucking puts on a ghost costume and glasses to pretend to be a girl's boyfriend in the first movie. I mean, so, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll never be i'll never be grudge a horror a movie monster for wanting to be up for having a little flair for the theatrics but i mean in this case it's it's it changes the tone of the movie you know yeah. it's the it's the tone of the movie yeah. it's how the horror works and as as opposed to 
you know, like it's cool. Like we have cool monster on one side and then we have like, you know, pogrom on the other side. Yeah. Um, Which is like, it's like how Jeremy says with bad hair, you know, you have a really, really interesting. uh, um, Social commentary. Yeah. This is thank you. Very, very interesting social commentary on one side. And then you have like hair that drinks menstrual blood. That's really the scene that breaks that. <laughs> I mean, oh my god, right? From that moment on, it's like, what are we doing? I definitely repressed that moment. <laughs> uh, um, do you guys want to discuss uh, the queer themes in this movie? Uh, sure. Okay, yeah. we're done. Um, fucking <laughs> same joke. Dang it, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, I mean, in terms of mental health, I mean Benjamin and. Hannah's grief and how they're both mm-hmm. dealing with that grief is a huge part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what you said earlier about how they grieve differently, I think that that's a that's a really interesting and also um, discussing that grief without they don't spend like a huge amount of time discussing the grief. It's just present. red. Yeah. yeah, it's present. Um, and uh, I think that it's a bit more of a, a progressive depiction of grief in that way. Yeah. No, no clothes rending, no wailing, just yeah. this feeling of them having giant rocks strapped to their chest all the time. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there's a bit of clothes rending, but that's when the rabbi says, "Okay, you can grieve now. Yeah. We're having yeah. a mourning period." Well, well, it's also traditional. You're supposed to tear your clothing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, and, yeah. And the way mourning is organized is, is actually like regulated in the community. Like, they're not supposed to wear black for longer than a year. For you don't have to wear black for a year. And you can wear black just like because you wear black, but you're not supposed to wear black out of morning. morning for longer than a year because like torturing yourself endlessly, that's not healthy. Yeah. It was like basically the way it was uh, explained to me as a kid. I, 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 yeah. I think- you're allowed to be goth because you like goth clothes, but not because you're sad. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, but like, is that really, you know, like it's not, a, you, it, you could tell people like you shouldn't feel like you're compelled to feel sad for a sad, certain amount of time, but it's also like you, you shouldn't tell people you're not, if that's truly how you feel, like, yeah, you should get help, but I'm not going to tell you, you can't be in mourning for longer than that. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, absolutely. It's, it's okay. You know what I, so it's like, it's, it's more nuanced than that, but I think it's yeah. interesting in the context of the, of the movie to explain that there actually are rules about how this is quote unquote supposed to be done. Well, speaking. I, I was, I was taught that um, the thing about like, yeah, the Jewish tradition of ripping part of your, your, your clothing when you're in mourning, that, that those kinds of rituals aren't just for yourself. It, you know, it's, it's not that you're punishing yourself necessarily. It's that it's supposed to be a, sig- a signal to others in your community that you're in mourning. It's like, oh, hey, like, you know, maybe go easy on this yeah. person for a little while that they're in mourning. And, and, yeah. and I... I something I, a little moment that I thought was really fascinating when the rabbi's talking about like okay we're all in a period of mourning now. everyone in that room without a second thought immediately rips a little piece of their collar and yeah. it's it's I, I I I for a moment I wasn't really sure what to what to make of it um but I thought it was a pretty cool moment of community unity like hey like we're not gonna give it a second thought okay like hey we're all mourning for this person all right we're, we're all in this together hmm. yeah 
Well, I think there's there's some nuance, as Alana said, there's some some interesting nuance there because you have the community aspect of mourning and then you have the personal aspect of mourning. And there's a there's a schism there. And that that is the one of the focal plot points of this movie is that, you know, OK, we gave you time to mourn, Hannah. You should be over this kid by now, you know, yeah. and and that I think is is the more um important part of that of the depiction of that grief is that she's um you know they do have a very uh a a very regulated form of mourning and they do have they do make space but to an extent Mm -hmm. you know and and there's a point where it becomes um not a, a a service of the community, but it becomes an expectation of the individual and, and, and stretches them thin. And I think that that's an interesting uh, statement about how religion and spirituality and, and mental health can um, clash or interact. Yeah. I think interestingly, as, as we've talked about, that's also something that comes up a lot in horror movies is like, ah, get over it. You've had enough time to be sad about this important person in your life you lost. Yeah. yeah 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 very and they're very explicit. like it's been seven years it's been seven years since your kid had drowned <laughs> it's a terrible song it, <laughs> we're late in the podcast that's the that's where those are the kind of jokes you get in this late in the game <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah. do I we want your anniversary do we have any uh recommendations for people who enjoyed this movie oh i've got you want to move into the recommendations Go for it, Greg. Okay, so in lieu of uh, recommending people, I, I do have other recommendations, but in lieu of recommending people a bunch of other horror movies with uh, Jewish themes or Jewish elements, I am instead once again going to instead direct people to uh, my neotext essay, Golems, Nazis, and Other Monsters, a look into Judaism and horror films. I uh, did a lot of research, which involved watching a lot of uh, Jewish-oriented horror movies for that, and I make it pretty clear uh, throughout the essay which movies I liked and which ones I didn't. Uh, but beyond that, um, if you like this sort of period folk horror kind of thing, which, which is really, I, I, I'm beyond the Jewish stuff, I just, I love folk horror, um, mm. definitely gotta watch The Witch. The Witch is one of my favorite movies of all time horror or not for sure for sure the um, witch definitely yeah and, and you know this movie uh the golem came out just a few years after the witch and i can't help but think that there might have been some uh, uh inspiration yeah uh, uh which is a good thing you should absolutely be inspired by. uh now if you're interested in this the aspect of the movie where uh, a mother has a uh, fucked up relationship with her monster baby uh there is a movie called sun s-o-n uh that came out just this year i think um it stars uh the woman who plays uh laurie strode's granddaughter in the uh 2018 and 2021 uh halloween movies uh as this woman who i don't want to give too much away but but she uh was raised in a cult and has since escaped with her baby 
and yeah, that's uh, that's not Judy. Is that Judy Greer? Or is that not Judy? No, Greer? not Judy. The, the granddaughter character. Okay. So actually, it's kind of weird because like she plays this like seventeen-year-old in the movie, and now she's playing a woman probably around a decade older. Uh, although it is a big plot point that she had got pregnant very young. Um, it's uh, it's it's more obscure, but um, you know you you can find it on Shutter if you, if you have that, which I imagine a lot of people podcasts do. Um, it's scary. It, it, it's it's a scary movie that uh, uh, deals with some pretty heavy themes. Um, so definite trigger warning about pregnancy and stuff like that. But um, if if you're looking for something scary about motherhood uh i definitely recommend hmm. oh and of course hereditary i but again massive like high, biggest possible trigger warning for that yeah. yeah i'm gonna say if you want more movies about the jewish experience check out fifle an american tale <laughs> and its sequel fifle goes west is the I have what is to say it's Fievel. I, I, I was going to say like the worst was they actually, my, I remember my mom and how upset she was when they released fucking Christmas toys for the Fievel movie promotion <laughs> when I was a kid as part of like the McDonald's or Burger King, whatever the hell it was. My mom was like, they won't even let us have this one fucking thing. Um, I remember like, that. Christian well, hegemony. Anyway. Good. Like Oy vey to that. Indeed. I was uh, going to say, I, I do recommend for people to check out the 1920, the Golem and how he came to be, which we oh, saw for yes, free on yes, YouTube. Yes. It was really, it was really interesting. Um, and surprisingly, like, well-maintained, considering all of the odds. There were parts yeah. of the soundtracking that I kind of wished that somebody else had soundtracked differently because we don't know what the fuck they originally yeah. if you're well, the, a, the good thing is a it, pianist it, playing live but like yeah what was it? well the Sorry, good thing is it? it's in it's in the public domain so i invite any musicians that might be listening to do their own music for the golem how he oh, came to be awesome I that would be my, super I think, awesome i think frank described it as being a vaguely straussian nightmare <laughs> um, and, and points the soundtrack, but um, but yeah, no, I really did enjoy the movie and historical scene. Yeah. Um, it's really entertaining. Like it, it's it's a well paced, very watchable silent film. In the uh, in in the vein of an American tale, don't they like create a golem? Who? In the the mice to get to scare the cats off. I have no recollection of anything about the movie other than my mom being upset about the fucking Christmas toys. Yeah. They made a I big. N- I never saw me- it. They made a big mechanical. You never mouse. saw it. Oh wow. Yeah, I I I I, I, di- I didn't hear about it until when I was in college, and my non-Jewish girlfriend um, told me about it when I was describing the comic Mouse to her. And oh, yeah. by Art Spiegelman, and she was like, yeah. "Is that like an American tale?" And I was like, "No, it's that." And it's that, I, that it's not a- not like American tale. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, they are both members of the subgenre of anthropomorphic mouse-based Judaism stories. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, look, I can't think of anything else way. that's in that subgenre. <laughs> 
anyone anyone listening to this who hasn't read mouse i mean definitely read mouse oh my god read mouse yeah absolutely read i mean all all the trigger warnings for mouse but yeah yeah. but Uh, but like i i I think it's like the for for me it's like basically the great american jewish novel even though it's totally non-fiction um for another oh i'm sorry if i cut you oh no no, go for it um Another movie I'd recommend that is, uh, once again, deals with like uh, Jewish experience uh, and Jewish history and very much centers around the theme of how far is too far in defending yourself and what is the cost of doing so is Munich. Mm. I haven't ah. seen that yet. Yeah. Um, in terms of, really quick, it was the giant mouse of Minsk. They cre- created a giant metallic, metal, blah, blah, blah. they created a giant mechanical mouse to drive off the cats. That's the climax of the film in American Tale. Um, oh, wow. Spoilers? Yeah. God. Well, they, sorry. It's okay. It's really okay. <laughs> um, they they live. Uh, and there's um, Dom DeLuise is a cat who's a good vegetarian cat, I guess. Um, anywho, the uh, couple of recommendations. One, um, if you like stories, of uh, tragic stories about... Um, that's a really weird way of saying you like tragic stories about miscarriage. Um, no, the, <laughs> if you like stories about weird monster children, um, there is a Czech film uh, by Jan Svankmeyer called Little Otik. It is really intense. It's very like a lot of horror in this movie. Jan Svankmeyer is is really into horror, um, mm-hmm. and you know there's there's a lot of trigger warnings around that one but it is based on a Czech story, an 18th century Czech story about uh, a woman who can't have kids. And then her husband brings home a, um, a, a log that looks like a kid and then it comes alive and stuff like that. And then they have to keep feeding it. And um, I think it's Otisonic, which is the original, if I, if I don't know how to pronounce Czech. So, um, but the original is, uh, it's kind of a it's children's book, but then Jan Svankmeyer turns it into a horrific film that is also like set in um, more contemporary settings. So that's that's interesting. And then there's a series of novels. Uh, there's the Bartimaeus trilogy, um, which by Jonathan Stroud, and it's a young adult fiction series that is um, basically uh, about demons um that are quote-unquote demons which are actually just like chaos spirits but it there there are golems uh and solomon and a lot of this stuff is referred to um things take place in Prague, so it's a um it's an interesting series uh usually from the perspective of one of these spirits that has been summoned by a magician and they take a lot of shots at the harry potter universe boy uh, it's very satisfying. <laughs> so um, yeah, because basically the wizards are like uh, the um, the hegemony, and they're like suppressing everybody because they all have magic, and they're all using like you know they're basically enslaving demons to do all of their bidding. I am into it. Yeah, it's it's a fun, very well written, very fun series of books, um, and uh, highly recommended. Not not a lot of horror um although the rosetta stone i believe does get broken at some point um so there's that so yeah uh the first book in that series is called the golem's eye so there you go i've, I've only got one uh scary child movie to recommend and it's uh 
sort of the, the, the youngest scary child you can possibly have uh, because uh, the movie is Prevenge, which is directed by Alice Lowe, also stars Alice Lowe. Uh, it was a movie I watched during Scary Movie Month last year. Um, and it is about a uh, woman whose uh, husband dies tragically um, while she is pregnant and her unborn child starts giving her instructions on murdering all the people who were involved in his uh, tragic death. Um, so uh, the, the child is talking to her and there and she's talking back and uh the uh child is determined to you know uh make her life horrible unless she uh avenges uh her the the child's father's death uh so she this it is you know about a a very pregnant woman uh attempting to uh murder a bunch of uh rock climbers that are involved in, in her husband's death um it is uh, alternately funny and troubling but it is a lot about um sort of the experience of pregnancy uh generally but specifically you know that this filmmaker had of like feeling like your body is not your own and like it's turning against you and like there's this thing inside you trying to kill you um has a mind of its own um and it's it's a really good movie uh, i definitely recommend it i'm sure at some point on here we'll we'll talk about it more because it's uh it's a good one the fact that the filmmaker uh, and actress uh, was herself pregnant while they were filming the movie is really fascinating to me. Uh, so I've had my eye on that one for a while. Yeah, yeah me too. Great. I caught it on Shutter last year. It's uh, it's very good. I think that was when I ended up getting Shutter to watch because it was the only place it was at at that point. Oh, by the way, the Golem's Eye is the second book, not the first book. My bad. The first book is oh, the Amulet okay. of Samarkand. Say it again. The Amulet of Samarkand is the first book mm-hmm. in the Bartimaeus trilogy, which is the Jonathan Stroud series. Okay. All right. It's getting late. Uh, yeah. We should do uh, letting people know uh, where we can find, or where they can find us online. Yes? Yeah. Uh, let's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Alana, where can people find you online? Yeah. Um, Graphic Policy Radio is my podcast on every podcast platform talking about the intersection of comics, nerd media, and social change. We're covering, like reviewing comics, interviewing comics, in comics authors, writers, you know, artists, and so on, as well as doing some round tables around things like Doom Patrol season three um, and the Eternals. Um, and uh, I also have the podcast, uh, Deep Space Dive, where we talk about Deep Space Nine through the lens of politics and social change as well, with lots of different guests, which is also at Graphic Policy. I am on Twitter a little too much at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Ilana underscore Brooklyn. And uh, Greg, where can people uh, check you out online? Uh, Yeah, so, uh, well, I guess the easiest place to find me is Twitter. Uh, I'm at Greg Solber there. Uh, I'm also at Greg Solber on instagram that's silver with a b rather than a v uh and uh i i've got my portfolio there which which has some but not all of my my favorite uh links to stuff i've done uh the most consistent place i write these days is uh the comic speed uh that's comicspeed.com uh where i have my silver linings uh humor column uh i have a lot of fun with that 
Um, the, the kind of running theme that we kind of accidentally stumbled on is uh, I, I try to look at entertainment that might not be universally loved but lightly I, I, I find positive things to say about it but, but it really r- runs the gamut from talking about music to talking about uh, comics certainly uh, and, and uh, like I said before uh, movies especially horror movies throughout this past October when it transformed into silver bullets uh and uh yeah read uh benny beck vampire killer it'll take you two minutes it's hilarious it's my favorite thing i've ever written i can't wait i enjoyed it as well very cool uh emily where can people find you uh megamoth m-e-g-a-m-o-t-h on twitter tumblr patreon the internet at megamoth.net um and instagram is mega underscore moth uh check it out i got art wherever mobs can be found and be mega yeah uh and jeremy give us them social details them social deets yeah you can find me at twitter and i guess tumblr if you're still there at uh jrome58 that's j-r-o-m-e-5-8 i'm also on instagram under the same thing uh and my website is jeremywhitley.com and uh, you can check out various things that uh, that I write uh, that I assume will be out at some point. There's a lot of moving targets right now. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @benthecon. Uh, my website is benconcomics.com. And you can find some of my recent works like Renegade Rule and Immortals Phoenix Rising from Great Beginnings uh, out in stores and online now. And you can uh, follow Progressively Horrified at patreon.com slash progressively horrified uh, on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod. And uh, our website is progressively horrified.transistor.fm. So please uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Jeremy and Emily, for joining me on this Jewish journey. And uh, mm. Greg and Alana, thank you so, so much for coming on. It was wonderful getting to talk about. Uh, this with you uh it meant a lot to me getting to do this episode tonight so thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening and see you next week when we talk about jeremy what are we talking about next week i forgot to look it up uh well next week we are talking about uh the fantastic beloved really weird and unfortunately a bit racist gremlins Uh, Ah, I am excited for that. So until next time, stay horrified. And one more thing. If you're listening to this the day it's come out, it's December 3rd. So happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to all of you. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode features Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, Greg Silver, and Alana Levin. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinions of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and is provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Please support us on Patreon and contact us on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod or email us progressively horrified at gmail.com. 